the most important thing for all of us is knowing that we have to put all our energy into the things that we can control. Sometimes winning is out of our control. Official, you know, we, we fouls out our best player. We have an injury or we happen to have a really bad shooting night against a great, you know, there's other things that go in the winning other than just execution and effort. You can have execution and effort and still fall short sometimes. You know, another great Dymar thing, you don't have to win a championship to be a champion. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today we are joined by the associate head coach at LSU, Bob Starkey. Coach Starkey was on LSU's women's basketball coaching staff during five Final Four appearances and returned last season to serve as associate head coach on Coach Kim Mulkey's staff. Coach Starkey's impact was immediately felt, helping lead the Tigers to their first national championship in 2023. With more than 30 years of SEC coaching experience, he came to LSU after one year of coaching at Auburn. From 1989 to 2011, Coach Starkey coached at LSU with tenures with both men's and women's programs. Coach Starkey has a decorated career, having been a part of 790 collegiate victories 24 NCAA tournaments, eight trips to the Elite Eight, and five straight trips to the Women's Final Four from 2004 to 2008. He served as the acting head coach for LSU during his 2007 Final Four run. During his coaching career, Coach Starkey has worked with 20 teams that have won at least 20 games and has been a postseason participant 20 times. Coach Starkey is a master motivator and runs his own coaching and player online blog that features daily updates at the hoopthoughts.blogspot.com. Before we hear from Coach, Take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. Yes, sir. Hey, Coach. How are we doing, brother? Oh, man. Can't complain. How are you? Doing good. Going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> I imagine life doesn't really get to slow down for you, does it? No, especially with the new recruiting model. What's What's new with it for you? Well, obviously the portal. You know, yeah. last, year, last year we won the national championship on a Sunday and we came back Wednesday. We had two official visits from transfers. Wow. So you used to have, uh, you know, after the, the NCAA tournament coaches had a chance to regroup and uh, rest a little bit, but that, with the portal, it's just, it, it's nonstop. And then uh, we, we've added uh, three new sessions this past summer. Yeah. Uh, so it's just crazy. And then, uh, you know, the NCAA and its infinite wisdom uh, <laughs> has allowed, uh, kids to make nine official visits now where they used to be able to make five. Wow. So it's, um, it's just, it's the recruiting thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's really stretches. And of course it's, you know, it's a vital part of what you do. If you want to succeed, you gotta, you gotta excel in that area. So, uh, but it, it, it keeps you hopping. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I get the feeling just from listening to you that maybe you, you wish things were a little bit different or kind of how, how it used to be. Would you say that all of these changes and things, I mean, even for players, that they're not necessarily positive or that that it could be done better? Well, each individual case is different. Yeah. Certainly there's some kids who uh who uh have good good reason to explore other options and try other schools. Yeah. Others you're concerned that uh they're passing up an opportunity to fight some adversity and learn how to you know, to hang in there and fight through some things and get better. So you worry about that. You miss the, uh, 
the opportunity to have a, a, a teammate for life. I mean, when you're, you know, you play at two or three schools, you're not going to have the same bond that you have with somebody that you entered when and with a, as a freshman and played four years. It's funny. I, I was talking with a coach that, that mentioned, you know, kind of the reason for the portal was it was made for good reasons, which is like a player that the coach leaves and, he, you know, he was there and a new coach comes in. He doesn't really know if he has a spot or she has a spot, you know, and, and like those are good reasons to have a, a something like that. But just like anything else, you know, it gets uh, overused and abused and manipulated. And and now we have 1800 kids that are there in a small percentage that actually get out for a, probably a better situation. Yeah, you feel bad for the kids. I mean, the coaches, we adjust. Right. Uh, we, that, that, if, if you're. If you're going, but Buzz Williams told me this. You know, he said the best coaches that are going to survive during COVID, they're going to su- survive during the portal. The coaches have their head on the swivel. You know, you got to be solution based. Uh, but uh, I think it has affected kids uh, negatively far greater hmm. uh, than what anybody anticipated from the the ones you mentioned. You know, there's there's actually kids out there that uh you know they, they think they're going to go in the portal and they're going to transfer up or even transfer even and some of them have a hard time finding scholarships but it's also uh cut back on the number of scholarships that we give high school kids so there's fewer opportunities for high school yeah. kids yeah we're always going to sit on a scholarship or two for portal kids now and you mentioned COVID too and i've, I've asked this a few times in the last couple of years obviously COVID across the country and the world, it's a, it was a negative thing. And it, a lot of people were, suffered from it. And I think as coaches, like you said, we did have to adjust. and We had to learn some new things, maybe some new ways to do uh, things that we've been doing the same way for a long time. What were maybe some of those adjustments that you found? Like, you know what, this is a better way to do it because we were forced to by COVID. Well, I don't know a better way. I, I think that we had a great opportunity with our teams uh, to show them how to accomplish things that we need to accomplish regardless of adversity or, or situations that uh, we're not used to or that we don't like. Uh, I know our particular team, uh, when I was at Texas A&M uh, during the COVID year, we won the Southeastern Conference Championship uh, during the regular season, beat South Carolina in the last regular season game. Uh, you know, one of those deals where – you know, the entire year, you know, if we if we wanted to watch film, we watched it in the gym and there were chairs were 10 feet apart. And, yeah. uh, you know, there were no more pregame meals and uh, just a wide variety of things that you said the travel was different. Uh, obviously, getting up at six o'clock in the morning three times uh, a week so we could get tested, get, you know, get swabbed. And, you know, there were there were and, and then, you know, you, you had the, the social injustice piece that went on at the very same time. The very that's what people forget, and that was really prevalent in college campuses. Hmm. And uh, I, I, again, I, I thought it provided us an opportunity to help our kids grow and learn. And not all, all all schools did that. You know, the, you had some coaches that whined and complained and uh, didn't adapt and didn't adjust, and they missed that opportunity. But every yeah. time you have something, I think specifically bad that happens, uh, you you have a wonderful chance to 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 teach and to learn and and to show your kids how because that's that's hey that's what life is I mean yeah guys we're sitting there COVID's horrible but you know it's, it's it, it, it chances are it's not going to be the worst thing that's happened to you you're going to get a job you're going to get fired somebody you love is going to have cancer get killed in a car wreck 
uh, you know, th th this is life. So how are we going to respond? How are we going to learn? How are we going to grow? How will it prepare us for later on down the road? I think you nailed it. Looking for opportunities in any of those situations. One thing I learned from it was we do parent meetings every year and I require all the parents and I'm at a private school in DFW. Uh, so they, they're kind of surrounding us, not all close to it, but I would ask all the parents to come up and, and meet for an hour and a half, two hours on any given night. Well, we zoomed that year. So we did a zoom across the board. One, I had the highest participation at a parent meeting I've ever had before because they're sitting at home. And from that, that year, I always do zoom now. Like I, and, and it's, it's been great. So I, that's kind of like, there are those little things that, you know, if they forced, it forced us to do it, but it also showed, you know what, this is actually a pretty smart way to do it. Uh, again, I, that, you know, you're, you're either going to, how are you going to come out of something? Yeah. Uh, you know, are, are you going to be better for it or you just trying to survive or, or are you going to fail your way through it? Uh, you know, and the best of the best, I think they, they're, they're solution based. Well, Coach, I didn't get you on here to talk about the portal and COVID. <laughs> I thought, man, what an awesome start that right there. But uh, thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh, you, you know how busy you are. Uh, you're somebody that, you know, in about over two years of getting to do this, I've always wanted to have a hoops talk with you. So I'm just honored by it. Thank you so much. Well, glad to do it. You know, when, uh, when Jim Boone calls and say, hey, I got a friend that wants to have you on, it's a done deal, man. It's a done deal. Yeah. Uh, his name, he carries a lot of weight right there to get to get you to agree to do this with me. And congratulations on the incredible year you had, you and Coach Mulkey. So happy for you guys. Yeah, we were blessed. Uh, yeah, all right. Certainly I am. I mean, this was Kim's fourth time. So uh, she's kind of got the thing figured out. So I'm just, I'm, my, my claim to fame is I came in here and didn't mess it up. <laughs> My claim to fame is because I, I got to play at Baylor in 2000, 2004, and she was there at the time. And she was, I mean, Coach Bliss was there with me my first three years, Coach Drew my senior year. So uh, she, but she was there the whole time. And I felt like she was such a big deal, Coach, that when we'd be walking down the hallway you know, underneath the Ferrell Center, and she'd just kind of look at me as she's walking with us, and she'd go, Matt. Just like that. And and I remember thinking, she knows who I am. Like, she was a big deal <laughs> to us back then because she just had this – she has this presence about her that, Kelly, you know that she is – she's a big deal. But she then but then to even – I was a nobody on the, on the men's team, you know, a role player, to acknowledge me and talk to us at times, super special. Yeah, she's the best. She really is. I want to know, is there any time that you, I need to get you off by? Because I want to respect your your night. We're done for the day, brother. It's all yours. So what you're telling me is for the next Mike Neighbors and I went for two hours and 40 minutes. So I don't well, I don't let me tell you something. I don't I don't I don't know if I have two hours and 45 minutes of knowledge like Mike. I would uh he just I mean, goes. He just goes. He, he does. And he's uh, you know, Mike's uh out I, Mike's one of my favorite people in the business. Uh, he's been so good to me, but he's a he's an outside of the box thinker. Anybody tells me who do I need to get on my podcast? Who do I, I say, man, if you want to do something different, get Mike. When we were going through his um, pet peeves and the things he just can't stand, I thought that was gold. I mean, <laughs> and he, when we were talking about the box, he actually said, he said, I, I don't even have a box. I'm not outside the box. I don't even have a box. I thought that's pretty good. True. What he's great though is he has list. Yeah. Yep. His favorite movies, his favorite songs, his favorite books. Uh, 
I just uh we we just moved into a new house and I was going through a I just have I just have books, man. I just got books <laughs> and I've got some really, really old antique books from the oh, wow. 20s, 30s, and 40s that are basketball coaching books. And I've always hung on to them. And somebody told me that Mike collects them. And uh, you know, my wife, she's on me. I got I gotta get rid of something here. So I boxed them up and sent them to him. And you would have thought I sent him some gold bricks, man. He was so excited about it. That's really cool. That's cool. Well, coach, 30 plus years of coaching experience and uh, blown away by the people that you've been able to be around as a coach and then, and probably work with as well. You've seen some great daily habits. What are some daily habits that set you up for success? Well, um, daily habits for me would uh, fall into two categories. First one would be preparation-based. And uh, these I got from Don Meyer. I, I don't know how long we're going to talk, but Coach Meyer's name's going to come up quite a few times because he uh, he was a mentor to me and has had a huge impact. But hmm. Sunday, I like to organize my week. So Sunday night, I'm looking at my organizer, uh, going through everything I have that week from uh, our practice, our workouts, our film sessions, uh, anything recruiting we have going on, just, just anything that – uh, you know, big ticket items that go on during the week. So I'm always going to do that on Sunday. And then every single night, I uh, make sure I organize and plan the next day. Hmm. And those are two really big tips I got from Coach Meyer. What I like about uh, looking at my organizer for the next day is it, it, it just, I go to bed subconsciously already thinking about what I have to do tomorrow. And uh, it, it, the ability to stay organized on this level uh, can never be overstated. So uh, those two preparation tips that I got from from Coach a long, long time ago have served me for, for close to 30 years. The other daily habit uh, that I have that I think really helps me uh, be successful is, is just the habit of reading. Hmm. Uh, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, I, every house I've ever owned, I've got a bedroom that's been converted to a library. Uh, I'm going to get up every morning, and the first thing I'm going to do when I walk into the office is I'm going to open the Daily Stoic, which is a book by Ryan Holiday. Uh, it has a passage for each day, and it's amazing uh, how each one of them uh, reach out and touch something that I do as a coach or a teacher, or as a spouse, and uh, hmm. that's very important to me. I always have two books going. I've got one book in my house, and i got one book in my briefcase. So when I'm home, i got a book that I like to read in the evenings, and when I'm here in the office, I go on the road, I've, I've got a good book going. Uh, a thing that I learned from Dale Brown is to is to make the book work for you. So if you look at one of the books I've read, uh, there's going to be highlighters, there's going to be red pens, there's going to be things circled, there's going to be notes, and then when I'm done, I type up those notes. So uh, that helps me with my retention. Yeah. And, and so to me, those are my those are my daily habits: making sure I'm organized with Coach Myers preparation rules, and then finding time to read. You know, the other thing with with reading that we have access to, like I'm a real big Google Alerts guy. So for, for those who, who don't understand, you go to Google Alert and you type in the name of, of somebody or a topic, and then Google hmm. will send you emails on a daily basis. Like, you know, one of my one of my guys is is Nick Saban. You know, Saban was the football coach uh, when I was here my first go around LSU. He's a West Virginia guy like me, and he's just somebody I have the utmost respect for. So I've got Nick Saban typed in. So every day I'm going to get three or four emails with articles that have Nick Saban's name in it. But I do that. I, Bill Belichick's another one. And, mm. and I've got about eight or nine people. Uh, the other thing is that social media, uh, you know, obviously I'm following my LSU people, my players, my coaches. 
got to follow my recruits. After that, I'm not, I'm not following news organizations. I'm not following politicians. I'm following people uh, that are going to help me grow. You know, Brian and Tim Kite, Inky Johnson. You know, there's so many coaches out there. Mike Dunlap, Jim Boone, uh, Eric Musselman, Buzz Williams, uh, George Raveling. I could just go on. So I've got about 25 of these people because I think reading that that's food for your brain. That that's what really keeps me going. There's nothing like a good book or a, a good article or even a good tweet uh, that just gets me going a little bit more. So that that habit of reading is really really important to me. Some some really good stuff there. Thank you so much for sharing your Don Meyer quotes because I do I do follow you and I love seeing those pictures. And as a I mean I'm 41. So by the time I got into doing this, it was past his time or, or you know, or when he was really going around and doing a lot of stuff. And and so I would have loved to have been able to attend one of his clinics. I know you have some, there's a great uh uh Donmeyer.com where you can watch a lot of his things. And but thank you for doing that. You know, that organizing your week. Uh, I was talking, I had a talk with Tyler Costin, and he said, if you're a coach walking into practice. And in that moment, you're organizing your thoughts for practice, then he was just, you might not be a very good coach. I mean, there's a part to it that we're going to, a lot's going to slip and fall through the cracks if we're not prepared ourselves, right? Well, preparation's everything. You know, when I talked to you about preparing my day, preparing your practice plan, you know, there's been situations where I've been at institutions where I was involved for uh, with writing or putting together all or part of the practice plan. And it would probably take me more time to, to prepare the plan and actually execution. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned Tyler uh, and, and we talk about follows, you know, TJ Rosen. Uh, yeah. All, 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 all the, the PGC guys. Yeah. They're, they're, I'm all over. Them. Uh, almost went to work for him long time ago, but have the utmost respect for those guys. And those guys, they're on my Twitter feed. They're on my Instagram feed. They're putting up great stuff. But yeah. to your point, uh, and, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Uh, when a coach comes to practice unprepared, it takes the players about 30 seconds to figure it out. Players know when you're prepared, when you're not prepared as a coach, whether it's your your practice plan, your game plan, I don't care what it is. They, they know. So just the fact that you're not prepared is going to put you behind in practice. But now you've lost your team a little bit because they know you're not ready. Man, that's good. And I, I think of how many times where, as a player myself back in the day, when I'd walk in and I'd see a coach maybe take a pause, oh, look at the clock, and I can see he's making those decisions and choices on his head. I My mind started to wander in that point. I started to wonder, like, well, are we almost done? Are we about to get out of here? That that time is so precious that we have with them. And I always try to say, like, they're they're honoring us by giving us their time, especially a school like mine where basketball is usually fourth on their list, coach. It's not – we don't want it to be first anyway, but it's it's really not up at the top. And we need to honor their time by being prepared, having a plan, and maximizing their training. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and this this is probably we're we're getting a little bit maybe too deep philosophical for this show, but at sixty four years, the the absolute uh, most important thing that I've learned in the last ten years is the value of time. Hmm. Uh, I don't want my time wasted. I don't want to waste other people's time. I mean, every valuable uh, minute, hour, day means so much more to me now 
than say when I was 20 or 30 or 40. It's one of the reasons I've I've gotten so much into uh, Ryan Holiday and uh, the Stoism philosophy is, is is the value of each fleeting moment. So, uh, and certainly the same holds true for practice. You know, you've got these kids for however long it's going to be, and you got to maximize it. You know, one of the things that that Kim's great about, we might have a two-hour, forty-five-minute practice, and if it's going good, and we click, and we got this, and we got that. At about an hour and 45 minutes, she'll say, it's a great job, guys. Hold up. Let's bring it in. She has a great instinct of knowing uh, when to cut back. Or And, and by the same token, we, we've had an hour and a half practice lasting two hours because we weren't <laughs> getting it done. So, but she has a great understanding of time, and, and, and I think the best coaches do. I feel like, that. yeah, the art of coaching, that's kind of a phrase that gets thrown around quite a bit. I think part of that is the awareness of you have your practice plan that you've spent a lot of time on and things are probably timed to try to keep a good flow throughout. But the ability you mentioned, TJ Rosine, he has these amazing moments where he just will see a culture moment, a culture point that that in the middle of practice we can hit that'll create that'll deepen our understanding of or a great example of what our culture needs to be, or maybe when it's breaking down. He doesn't, he's not a, a, you know, just held to that practice plan where he sees something or he wants to stick in something longer, but he can't because he's going to the next thing. And to your point, when we're far enough along to have the awareness or the ability to break away from that plan, I don't know. I just feel like that's the art of coaching in a way. Well, it certainly is. A a practice plan is, is, is nothing more than a map. You know, and and certainly if you're driving, you got to know when to veer off the road and take a detour. And uh, that's kind of the way practice is. And and I'll be honest with you, I've worked for a lot of coaches and uh, it's it's not a natural thing to have that instinct to know when to move on to something a little bit quicker, when to hang in there, something a little bit longer. I think it takes time and experience and it takes uh, uh, you. We we talked earlier about having your head on a swivel, just being able to adjust and and and, and react to what's going on. And the, the last thing you want to do is be married to a practice plan. You know, five minutes on this, we got to do five <laughs> minutes. Ten minutes here, we got to do ten minutes. You got to have a feel for what's going on on the floor. Yeah, I feel like there's been times in the past where I've I've even said a lot, man. I wish we had more time, but we got to move on. Well, we do have more time. Like, let's get it right. Let's stay there. And 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 then again, especially if you have that your eyes open to not just the skills that you're looking for, but the standards that your program that you're trying to uphold. When you see them falling in practice, or your players are doing them exactly right, like, let's take time to celebrate. I think or, or reinforce. Well, and sometimes you gotta watch your players too. I, players, one of the worst habits they have is clock watching. You know, so maybe I've got four minutes on a drill and, and and I'm, you know, two minutes in, I'm not getting the effort, the intensity or the the concentration I want. I'll look over the manager and said, hey, you know, i tell you what, let's turn the clock off. <laughs> Let, let's let's don't worry about that. You know, it reminds me yeah. of uh, I just here's a really great story, man, I got from Kevin Eastman. You know, Kevin was uh, such an outstanding assistant coach uh, for uh, Doc Rivers with the, the Celtics and the Clippers. Of course, was a head coach of his own right and one of the best clinicians out there tells this story all the time uh, of learning about Kobe Bryant would go to the gym and work on one shot or one move for two, three, four straight hours. And, you know, it's hard for us today to get a kid to maybe 
work on the same move for like three or four three reps. reps. <laughs> they, that's right. They want to go the next thing. Yeah. So he's telling this story. And he said, he said, one summer he runs into Kobe and he said, Kobe, there's this rumor that you might work on a move or, or, or a shot for, for two or three, four hours. Is that true? And Kobe said, that's true. And he said, well, what's your formula? Like, you know, how often are you, you know, how long are you working two, three, four hours? How long do you work on something? Kobe said, until. That's it. Until he's not going in, getting a hundred shots up, or two, he's going in until. And then they explain this to Kevin. Excuse me, I got a little bit of a head cold, but he's. It, this good. is really important for kids to understand. He didn't work on a shot till he could make it. He worked on a shot till he couldn't miss it, and that's a whole different mindset in terms of working on something. Just don't work on something till till we get it. Let's work on something till we can't screw it up, till it yeah. becomes habit, till it becomes part of our DNA. And I think it's good individually in terms of working, but I think it's also good in the way we approach practice. That's what I was going to ask you is as a coach, like how, how, how do you get to that point to where it, the analogy with the shot, like he doesn't miss it anymore. What does that look like? within our own practice plans and our players, especially, you know, if we're, we're pushing them to make mistakes, we want them to, and, and to not be afraid of making those mistakes. I guess it's maybe has to do with a little bit of system, but as a coach, how do you develop that feel to know that, you know what, guys, we're in a good spot. Let's move on. Well, I think early in the season, your, 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 your level of execution and perfection comes a little bit quicker in, in, in smaller spurts. You know, we're not looking for uh, an entire possession to be perfect. We're looking for this first cut and screen. Let, let Guys, let's get this down part, you know, be very progressive. One of my favorite defensive drills we got from uh, uh, Chris Beard is called the kill drill. And the kill drill means defensively we got to get three straight perfect stops. Not three stops. We better jump to the ball. We better get over top of the screen. Five players better be in their stance for the entire possession. Everybody's got to block out. If we don't do one of those things and they still miss the shot, I'm sorry, guys, we're mm -hmm. back to zero. Now, we're, we don't do that drill the first month. We're not ready uh, for it. We, yeah. we build up to that. And then when we feel like we've got our defense in a pretty good place, then, then we instill the kill drill. We've done the kill drill but never the perfect stops part. And as soon as yeah. you started to talk about that, I thought it makes, it just makes so much sense because like how many times one of the stops they get, our kids just kicked it out of bounds. <laughs> like our, well, our 12th thing, guy just, you know, this is a, this is a Nick Saban thing. And this is probably the most profound thing I've learned in, in, in teaching is to be process oriented and not result oriented. Yeah. Uh, by the same token, you come down and have just one heck of a defensive possession. And they could they could bank one in. Well, yeah. I don't want you to change what you did. Yeah, you know, I used to uh, one of the jobs I had. I was a small college uh, basketball coach at West Virginia State, and I had to work. I shouldn't say I had to. I got to be the sports information director for baseball. Baseball coach Cal Bailey, legendary. He would not allow his players to see their batting averages. He would rate each at bat based on how hard you hit the ball. So if you hit a frozen rope. You got like a six. If it was a pretty hard hit ball, it was five. If it was a really hard, all the way down, and then that's what the average was. So, and his, his philosophy was there that a kid could be hitting 300 
go go back four times, hit three stingers and a large long fly ball that was an out to the gap. And all he's going to see is 0 for 4. My batting average dropped down to 287. And the next day, he's tinkering with the swing. Mm. Don't tinker with your swing. Yeah. It's, it's don't be result oriented. Be process oriented. And, and I think that's what the kill drill does. I thought about shot selection right there and how maybe that, that could translate into instead of worrying about percentages, not, not that it's, it's, it is important, but it's more about like uh, that Doug Novak had a great point. He said, it's not that they have to take, uh, make it, it's that they have to take it. Like you don't have to just make the shot. You got to take it like that. Getting your players to shoot with that much courage and the awareness that they know when I'm open from here, this is a shot. I'm going to, I have to take it. I wonder if you could take kind of a, the idea of more on shot selection, rating how players shoot rather than the outcome, which is the made shot. You absolutely can. I'll tell you one guy who did it, Don Meyer. Uh, he had a, a four three two one zero zero was a turnover. Uh, but four was a shot that is just a quality shot. You know, the other thing kids have to understand is uh, my rating of shot selection is going to be different than yours. Yeah. Uh, because of my skill set is, you know, everybody's a, a good shot for me. is not going to be a good shot for you. So a big part of, of shot selection, if you're a coach is making sure that your guys know what's a good shot for each individual. They have to know that. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than when we're talking about role development, mm-hmm. you know, that we're not saying that you're married uh, to these shot, this shot selection your whole career, but that's going to be based on the unrequired work you do, you know, concentrating on, on your technique. You know, when you, when you can, can you, you can make some shots, then we can expand what your range is and, and your shots. I love that coach Meyer had a ranking system for the shots. I, I you mentioned the PGC guys. I did get to direct with them for five years. And one of the most transformational, the coach that I was before, Going in there, I was probably wanted to be a lot like Coach Bliss, and unfortunately, not as much like Coach Drew. And not walking out of there is a lot more like Coach Drew, right? But um, the one of the best things I learned in my time there was their shot selection scale. And coach, when I ever I get to talk with coaches, I say that what's one of the number one things that I brought or, or that changed my the way that I even talk with my players was that shot selection scale. I think it says a lot about your culture the way that you talk about shot selection, but a seven is a wide open jump shot within their range. And I always tell them that's the, that within your range part, I'm going to help you know that I'm going to show you through shooting games, through what we chart, through how we practice. We are never going to go into a game guessing about what a seven is. Cause if that happens, that's my fault. Well, Rory Williams uh, watched him practice a couple of times. He was notorious for a kid taking a shot and stopping at practice and asking one of his teammates, do you think that uh, John here took a good shot? Was that the shot we needed to take? Uh, so he he created a little dialogue uh, amongst <laughs> teams. So I do think it's important that not only do I know my shot selection, but I, I need to know it's a good shot for you. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way we can help each other out. That makes a difference in who I pass the ball to. So uh, shot selection is one thing. Understanding yours and your teammates is, is like another level. So somehow from daily habits, we got the shot selection. Um, I do have one more question about your daily habits is the reading. As somebody that I, I would love to be that type of Buzz Williams reader that it sounds like you are, that the guy goes through four books every month and puts a really cool graphic out about it, which is awesome. But uh, what are some tips that 
over the years, besides just just open the book and read it, Matt. Like besides that, what are some tips to becoming maybe just a, a better reader over time? Well, I think the first thing is making sure you schedule time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Eastman's another guy. He he sets he sets five o'clock every morning to read. So he's going to get up before the phones start ringing, before his family's up. You know, he he has already locked in every single day some time to read. I'm not quite that disciplined. I lock in my time in the evening when I'm yeah. sitting up in bed. And like I said, I always have one when I'm on the plane or on the bus. Uh, I enjoy reading things that I think are going to make me better, hmm. uh, whether it's a biography, uh, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about culture, where it's about team building. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be about basketball. Uh, some of the best books I've read have been written by football coaches or baseball people or non-sports people. Hmm. Uh, I would challenge basketball coaches. Just don't think you have to read basketball books. Same thing when you're going out meeting and talking with people. Uh, something that I've had to learn is every now and then you're going to buy a book and it's not going to be a good book. Put it down. Okay. I, I love that you said that. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, Greg Brown, a friend of my UCF, he calls, you know, he, he calls a book a, a good reader, a skimmer. And if he gets a couple of chapters in and he's not getting it, you know, he's he's going through there and he's looking for a phrase or something that will stop him. So he's got me doing that now. Where at a young time I felt like, well, I bought this book. I, I gotta read the whole daggone thing. That's that's and, and yeah. Now I don't. Now I don't. So don't don't let a bad book, you know rob you of some time uh, you just you just really i think saved me some time and maybe a lot because i have this this group of books at home that i'm trying to work through and there's usually this one or two that i'm just man it's just i'm sticking like my mind's wandering and and so you just freed me up for that coach one of my one of my thank yous that i do for for people that come on and talk hoops with me is i send them a copy of the my it's not my book, but the story of the leftovers, which is my senior year with Coach Drew. We had only six scholarship players, and it's it's kind of how we handled all of that. And I didn't handle it very well, but how he did and, and the team. But now when I send it to you after this is all done, I'm going to be thinking, is it a is it a good book or is it a skipper? <laughs> <laughs> well, it already sounds like an amazing story. Well, you know, no pressure there. And Coach, you can. Feel free. Point guard lie. Point guard lie is a it's addictive into a term. The point guards just got to be. Sometimes we just got to make our bigs feel really, really good about themselves. So, <laughs> the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. Well, culture is one of those buzzwords that, man, it's just thrown around a lot. There's a legendary coach in this area. He was at uh, Coach Fitch. He was at Birdville High School for 30 years, and he just retired. And we were talking, and he said, you know, that word, 15, 20 years ago, we never used that word. But they all had a culture, and they they were aware of it. So how does how do you feel like culture drives performance? Well, the, the thing is funny because I just got through doing uh, a whole clinic on culture for some soccer coaches, the, the Louisiana High School Soccer Coach Association. And the thing I explained to them, I said, is every single one of you here have a culture. Culture doesn't necessarily translate to be a good thing. You you could have a 
yeah. a lazy team culture or a whining team culture or, you know, culture, you know, the first thing you have to do is you have to define that culture and then share that definition daily. Yeah. Every single minute of every single day with everybody involved in your program. To me, I think the thing that's important about uh, culture is it's, it's beliefs and values and standards. It's not rules. Rules doesn't create culture. It's about those standards, those things that you believe in. Um, and, 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 and I, you know, I, everybody's culture is going to be a little bit different and there's not one culture better than another culture in terms of successful programs. There's a lot of different ways to, uh, to coach this game. Uh, but you have to, you have to have a great understanding of what your culture is and it, it has to, you know, carry over to all phases of your program. Your culture is, is how you play the game. It's, it's how you travel. It's yeah. how you are in the classroom, you know, you, because it's standards and values. And then, you know, one of my, 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 my favorite things about culture is, is Doc Rivers saying you have to fight for that culture every day. Culture never arrives. You don't come into your office and say, man, I have created a great culture. <laughs> it'll, that thing will take a nosedive and a heartbeat. Yeah. So it, it just, it, it, it takes a lot of work. And I, I think, uh, obviously you, you have to work hard to get everybody to buy in. And I think one of the re- ways to get people to buy in is have them involved in defining your culture as a head coach. Just don't come in and say, this is who we are. This is what we want to be. Sit down and have those conversations. Um, real quick, uh, you know, when Nick Saban was here at LSU and we were coaching at women's basketball, we'd never been to a final four and we go to an elite eight and we're one game away and, and we lose. And we've got about three or four starters coming back. And everybody's talking Final Four National Championship. We've never even been there. And uh, we were very aware of, of Saban's process oriented philosophy. You know, Saban never talks about yeah. we want to win 12 games. We want to win a national champion. He doesn't talk about any of that. Saban's thing is the next play. That is it. That is absolutely it. He told me once that he, other than his quarterback and his defensive captain, nobody's allowed to, to look at the clock because it has absolutely no bearing on their job. Doesn't matter first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Doesn't matter if it's first and 10, second and 16, third and two. We're up three touchdowns. We're dead. That got, has nothing to do with the ball being snapped and this guard pulling here and blocking you have a job to do. You know, one of my favorite Bill, Bill, Belichick stories, uh, he's at a, 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 a press conference at, to start the season off, and a reporter goes, uh, Coach Belichick, you won five Super Bowls. Uh, you've won this many playoff games. You, he, he just went over all these, these accolades. He says, what's the next big thing for you? And Belichick looked at him, he said, I'd like to have a really good practice today. <laughs> and... <laughs> A lot of writers kind of chuckled like that, but he was dead serious. He was dead serious. So Saban comes and talks to our team about the process, Hmm. about, you know, not worrying about points scored or win totals or none of this stuff. He goes into how they are just concentrating on the next play, on giving everything they got to being in the moment, being in the moment. By the way, 
Phil Jackson said that the number one attribute that Michael Jordan had wasn't his athleticism, it wasn't his competitiveness, it wasn't his skill set, it was his ability to be fully in the moment. So, you know, Saban tells this to our, our kids, and about three months later, uh, Coach Gunner brings our, our captain, Tamika Johnson, in and says, hey, I want you to go back and meet with your team, and I want you to come back with our team goals for the season. And so a week later, she comes back and says, Coach, we met, we're good. And she said, we just got one goal this year. And I just remember my heart sunk. I said, she's going to say final four yeah, or yeah. national championship. Coach Gunner said, what is it? She said, Coach Gunner, we want to be the best practice team in America. And then Coach Gunner takes it another level. She goes, okay, I need you to go back, and I need you to talk to the players. I want to know what's that going to look like. What's that going to sound like? What's that going to feel? When we come to the center after every practice, what are we going to talk about to say, well, we're the best practice team in America? And that team went to the Final Four and started a run of five consecutive Final Fours. And every one of those teams, their goals were intangibles. None mm -hmm. of them were numerical. None of them were result-oriented. Yeah. And that, that to me, that that's what cultures are. You know, uh, Tommy Izzo says the, the the best coach team is a player coach team. And I think what he means by that is your culture and your standard is such as that players are holding each other accountable. Right. You know, when Kevin Durant was at, at Oklahoma City, I don't know if he still does it or not, but when he would go work out, he would grab a different teammate every time to take with him. Number one, he wanted to work out with somebody, but number two, that was his way of ensuring this guy's getting some extra work in. I mean, that to me, that that, that that's a culture thing right there. Yeah. And then you know, it starts at the top. You know, if if we want a culture of hard work and sacrifice uh, and unrequired work, those kids need to see it from us. Uh, when they see that, it's going to filter down. But to me, that's I, I keep going back standards, values, beliefs. That's what good cultures are. I love what you said about it's not rules and because rules, rules are they're going to be broken. Sure. You know, I mean, we're, we're naturally going to try to find ways to break that that's a part of our nature but those standards those are things to be upheld like those are things to aspire to and so i like the the contrast you made with that you know i was thinking of there's been a lot of years here where i started out the year with state championship let's work sure. our way back from there oh, I have. yep but like books like burn your goals and and listening to guys like nick saban it really messes with your thinking because my, my question to you is your girls heard from Nick Saban and that really, I think in probably a lot of ways shaped that answer to your coach's question of go create some goals. If I asked my guys to do that, it would most likely be, we want to win district. We want to do this. We want to do this and that. How do I go about reshaping that without saying, Hey, we don't talk about that. We're not about that. We're about the process. How do I not just crush them, but get them thinking more like, oh, those are great. Let's talk about how we're going to do that. Like, what are your thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, though, those are very uh, normal goals for competitors. Kids want to win. Yeah. I think what the process is, though, is that that's the map to get there. Hmm. Absolutely want to win. It's like, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to speak to um, – Jim Boone's team at Greensboro College in Greensboro, North Carolina, a couple of weeks ago. And I thought it was funny that one of the things I hit onto them is before we can win championships, you have to be champions. 
And usually when I talk to teams like that, you can see what but Jim had already started down that road with that team. And the way to be a champion, to win a championship, is to do the things that the champions do on a daily basis. Uh, you know, we're, one of our big Don Meyer things is, is be an NBA player. And an NBA, NBA stands for next best action. And if you're, if you're constantly focusing on the next best action, then, then good things are going to follow. Uh, the, the, what kids have to understand is sometimes the most important thing for all of us is knowing that we have to put all our energy into the things that we can control. Sometimes winning is out of our control. Uh, official, you know, we, we fouls out our best player. We have an injury or we happen to have a really bad shooting night against a great, you know, there's other things that go in the winning other than just execution and effort. You can have execution and effort and still fall short sometimes. You know, another great Dimeyer thing, you don't have to win a championship to be a champion. Uh, so, guys, we love your goals, but let's talk about what do we need to do to get there. The other thing that, that uh, Saban preaches is if you're constantly thinking about winning, that's taking energy away from the thought process of what we need to do right now. I need you to think about blocking. I need you to think about running this pass pattern the way we've worked on it, 432. I don't need you to think about winning. I don't need you to think about you scoring a touchdown. I need to have you think about watching the ball into your hands. So I think if I'm, if I'm a coach with a team who's you know naturally into destination goals, I'm saying, hey, I'm all for it. I'm, 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 I'm here for it. But we need to concentrate on the things that go into that, and not that. Like you, you know, you, you, you don't wake up in the morning and say, uh, you know, I'm driving from from Baton Rouge to to Cleveland. You don't say, hey, let's go to Cleveland. You, you got to get in the car. You got to make sure there's gas in it. You got to follow the. It's a process. Yeah. And yeah. if you follow that, if you do all that, guess what? You end up in Cleveland. And it's hard for kids. It really is. It's getting harder and harder with social media. It's a microwave society. They want everything now. That That's our biggest battle, I think, as teachers. You're right on the money. And I, I was thinking about one of the biggest things we we want from our kids, from our players, is for them to be present. Be in the moment. Be where your feet are like, like Jordan was able to do. But when we are, as a coach, when we're ta constantly talking about the next opponent, the 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 district records or you know the the seedings what do we need to get into playoffs this isn't going to work for this you won't win a championship doing things like this we're almost in without realizing it taking them out of where they are and pushing them forward into things that are so far beyond this moment and and what we can't control so i think the process based thinking really helps us to keep them in that drill that moment with that teammate competing right now, I think that's just the right the the way to do it. Well, I think you hit on something very important, and that that's the leadership, the verbiage from the leadership. I'm working for a lady Kim Malky now, who I have never worked with anybody who her verbiage at practice she'll she'll make a comment to a kid that's setting that kid up for something two weeks from there. But we just we just coming off a season when we were blessed to win a national championship. At no time did we talk about winning a national championship. Hmm. At no time. Now, we had kids talking about going to the Final Four, and Kim, she knows exactly how to reel them back in. She said, I heard one of you guys talking about winning the Final Four. I, I can't get you to cut off the baseline in this drill right here. You guys aren't going anywhere. 
I could hear it. Like I could hear her say that. She'll also, she'll also later in that day, we'll do something good and she'll say, guys, that was a final four possession. She won't say that'll get she'll say that was a final four possession. So verbiage, what we say, because they hear everything we say. And they're they're constantly trying to figure out. So I, I think your your verbiage is important, making sure your entire staff shares that same verbiage, mm-hmm. the same message, that everybody's on the same page. I think that's what the great programs have. I mean, they 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 have a shared vision and a shared message on a daily basis. And what we've been talking about is that Nick Saban approach of not really talking about winning that often, but more the process. A coach named Shawnee Harley from Canada. She was a Can- Canadian Olympic coach for a long time, university coach of Calgary. Uh, she, we we had a we had a talk, and she she runs a thing called Winning Winning Matters. But one of her big things to push to coaches is to discuss losing and actually discuss what losing means and how you're going to handle losing in that moment. And what she said was the most dangerous teams are the ones that aren't afraid to lose. But when you talk about verbiage, how often do we as coaches treat losing or talk about losing is as something to be feared? Like you guys, we we use the term, you got to hate losing, but I think we talk more about it almost like you should be terrified to lose this game. So I think you're right on the money, that verbiage, instead of, we should be terrified to lose. Let's let's talk about what that actually means, what happens if we lose, and get them to play with courage and move past that. But it's all about the way we talk. It is. You know, it, it's funny. I, I was uh, – I'm going way back now, 1977. Let's go, Coach. Let's go. 1977, brother. I was at uh, I was at a basketball coaching class at Marshall University, and the basketball coach there was a guy named Stu Aberdeen. And he talked about uh, the importance of finding players who wanted to win. And uh, he said, let me tell you when winning's important, guys. When your body's laying up on that gurney and that surgeon's getting ready to save your life, you better hope winning means everything to that guy. Mm. Says, when you're in a court of law and you're innocent and you're fighting to stay out of prison, you better hope that lawyer wants to win more than anything else. Uh, but I do think there are coaches that can put too much pressure on their team not to lose. And you can see it in the way they play, especially uh, in, in games where, you know, it becomes close. You know, they're, they're they're thinking about not making a mistake instead of making a play. Yeah, I do think the absolute best coaches uh, know how to handle losing. Uh, I, I thought Bob Knight was always good at, at making sure his teams understood what went into losing. Uh, he made sure that was an ed- educational component early in the year that he talked about. But I, I think, first of all, the first thing that that has to happen after a loss, let me backtrack just a little bit. I think one of the worst things is to come off the floor as a coach and immediately dissect to your team what they did wrong. I, I, I You know, the, the best coach is like, hey, we didn't get it done. Uh, we're going to take a look at the film. We're going to get together tomorrow, and we're going to figure it out. And that that's a really important because there, there's different ways to lose. Now, there's certainly been uh, that case where there was zero effort. Yeah. You know, we just we weren't there. And there's no problem with that being addressed. immediately. Not acceptable. Right. Yeah. Right. That's not that's not who we are. That's not our culture. That's not our standard. But uh, there's so many different ways. You know, you know did you lose because of lack of effort was the lack of execution? Was a poor preparation. Hey, sorry to say this. Maybe it's a poor game plan. 
you know, this, this is where I'm from. And I, coaches don't like to hear this. On my level, on my level, if our team's not winning, either we're not doing what we need to do in practice to develop the habits and the yeah. preparation, or we're not doing what we need to do in the games in terms of my play calling and game plan, or if we're practicing and playing, then I, I've made a mistake recruiting. So the, 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 the responsibility for losing starts with us. Mm. And when you take that approach, your players are going to respond a little bit better. Yeah. But I, the, the first thing after you lose is, is you got to perform an autopsy. You got to get in there. You got to break down the film. You got to talk as a staff, uh, you know, guys, here's the thing. These are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. You know, there, there's so many factors that go in there. Uh, and I think, if you don't treat losing number one and first and foremost as a learning opportunity, Saban says it best. He, he just got through saying it. Don't waste a failure. Don't waste a failure. Uh, if you want to, you know, moan and groan and piss and complain, and uh, then, then you're you're not going to grow from it. You're you're not going to get better. It's it's an opportunity. Uh, to be better, but you have to approach it that way. And I, I think video is a big part of it. Yeah. Whether you're showing uh, a lack of execution or a lack of effort. Uh, and let me say this I, video is powerful in teaching. So yeah. if we win a ball game, we're going to show these positive clips, which I think are really important. Kids need to see themselves doing something right so they'll repeat that action. But even in a, in a victory, we're going to show them some clips of things we need to do better. If we lose, certainly we're going to show them clips of things that have to be improved, that we need better execution. But even in a loss, we're going to show them clips of things that we did well because we don't want them to lose sight of that. Uh, there's got to be a balance. It can't be <coughs> every loss can't be the Titanic, you know? That's right. Uh, you know, we're going to pass the holes of the boat. We're going to get on down the rod. Or that, uh, if every loss, you're just thinking, we got to blow this whole thing up, then your players are going to feel that. They're going to respond to that. And we're trying to create this, this environment where they feel like they're, they're, we're on a path to improvement, 1% better every day, not panic. And that's what I feel like I've done in the past maybe is panic. Oh, we've all done it. You know, Dean Smith has one of the classic quotes. You know, he says, if we make basketball games a matter of life and death, we're going to be dead a lot. <laughs> and that's from a guy that didn't lose too many. That's right. Yeah. I think sometimes we give our eyes and our memory too much credit with what we think 100%. we saw in the game. And Coach Drew said, hey, he's like, I don't want to tell them anything on what I think I saw or what I remember. And I'm sure you feel the same way. There's been times where I come into my little room right here and I, after a game where we lost and I'm feeling pretty down in the dumps. When I watch the game and I realize we're close, yeah. like we're not that far away. There's been some wins where I feel like that was incredible. And I watch the film. Oh, we're, 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 we've got some holes. I think it's it. The, Tyler Costin again. He said we need to do away with post game speeches altogether. He said, he said, you know, tell them you love them, let them go eat pizza with their friends because that's all they want to do. And I started to do that last year. We'll meet at half court right after the game, no matter where we are. I'll say I love watching you play. Can't wait to watch the film. We'll prepare to tomorrow. Go have a good night. And we've had a lot less 
issues. And I have my conscience is a lot cleaner instead of those words that I wish I could pull back. Sure. Sure. By the way, uh, you just meant something that we'll do from time to time. Say we lose to somebody by 10 points. I'll come out and I'll pull six simple plays out. Six simple plays where we made just a horrendous turnover or we missed a layup. I say, guys, right here, six plays, just six. All we had to do was something little. We'd have won the ball game. You know, close that gap a little bit because sometimes kids think, oh, we're far away or, God, we got hammered. Not, guys, I, I I could show you a ton more, but here we we, 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 we miss we miss four straight free throws. We missed two layups. We missed this block. We win the ball game. Forget everything else. Forget that we shot 41%. We got it right here. So sometimes how you frame it yeah. makes a difference in their attitude. That's a good nugget. When you're watching film with your teams, how often do you do parts, like you said, you know, some positives, some negatives? How often do you watch entire quarters or halves or entire games with them? Uh, never games, never halves, very, very rarely a quarter. Uh, and this is a, a, a mind shift. Uh, really have gotten into Tim Elmore, a great educator uh, in Georgia who is probably, you know, the leading educator in terms of this generation and how they absorb information. And a uh, couple of things from him. First one was the the decrease uh, in concentration uh, from kids today. They, they have very uh, short focus and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there and you may be into that, that nine or 10th minute of film and they're thinking about, their girlfriend or, or or where they're going to go eat pizza or, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhere else. So, or we're getting uh, long blanks. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. So we watch it in short snippets now. Yeah. Uh, now we may, we, we may start, uh, we may start practice with some snippets, practice a little bit and then for a rest, bring them in and watch a few more snippets. Uh, if I want to watch a little prolonged video, I might bring players in by one or two in the morning in my office, but even then I've got it cut up. Like we're just not letting the film row where they see the ball going out of it. And I've got them in short clips cut up. Uh, same thing with scouting. Like we'll come in. So we got two games, two, two days to get ready. We'll watch the opponent's offense today. We'll watch the opponent's defense tomorrow. Uh, and again, this is a Tim Elmore thing. You know, you, 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 you've got to give it to them when they're ready for it. And you can't give them too much or you, you're just our, our written report. You know, we used to have 10-page written reports. We're down to four pages now. We no longer do paragraphs. We do bullet points. All this from Tim Elmore. Okay. And by the way, uh, you know, one of the great things that Tim Elmore told me uh, is how we present things to kids or how we present things to anybody. Uh, that's changed. And his his story's a great one. He said, you know, when, when man was first created, they go down the river and cup their hands and pull water up to their face and then they figured out how to carve wood and scoop it up. And next thing we developed cups. And then we, we, gosh, we got this well, we could drop a bucket in. And uh, then we figured out plumbing and faucet. And now, holy crap, people are buying water in a bottle. <laughs> His point was water has not changed in the last 2 million years. Yeah. The packaging has. Yeah. You and I, we're stressing the exact same fundamentals uh, that Adolph Rupp and, and Pete Newell did. We're still, we're still stance. We're still 
uh, post feeds, we're still blocked, but we have to package it different for this generation. And part of that packaging is keeping it as short and compact as we can. I think a danger of watching big chunks too, almost like practice plans without having a plan. You're watching the film you start to dissect too much or you see things even differently. You go off tangents and all of a sudden you, you run the risk of, like we said at the very beginning of this talk, wasted time. And so you're right. Having, letting them know exactly what they should be looking for in these clips. It'll, I think that saves us as coaches too, from seeing things and like a squirrel. I cannot, I can't lose sight of that now. That helps us. Well, I think this, and then this, this is what I've been doing for a long time. I'm responsible for the video here. So after a game, I break the game down. I break down every single possession, and I tag it a variety of ways. And then, you know, Kim counts on me to put together what it is what practice. Well, what I do is I try and find two or three things that we need to do better and one or two things that we do well, and those are the clips that I'll pull. Sometimes kids are surprised they had just an unbelievably bad turnover and they're waiting for it to pop up on the clip and it doesn't make it. And the reason is, well, we only turned the ball over seven times last night. I'm not worried about turnovers. I'm worried about. So I think when you focus and I put those clips together, so maybe we miss six blockouts. Well, I put those six blockouts together. And then we'll go to the next thing. So I think by concentrating those issues in your film study, uh, I, I think that helps connect with kids a little bit more too. Really big nugget I got from you was that you you do film at different times of the practice instead of that 35 minute chunk right before break it up. Cause you're, you're right. Everything that they do, especially with this, it's so quick and fast and they're, there are, they're really smart. I mean, they can, they really can take things quickly in, but those long, amounts of time we we take it it could be waste there um, so okay, thank you for me, sharing let me that about this thing uh it could be nine o'clock at night and i'm breaking down tape and there's one specific clip and i'll send it to my kid hmm. they're gonna watch it yeah in one or two clips to a player to get their attention and 90 percent of the time those are positive clips yeah if i want to show a negative clip i pretty much want that kid in front of me so i can yeah. talk but i can say you know say this is what I'm talking about. Would you look at your screening angle and then your second cut? That's why you got this shot and I'll send it. And they're going to respond. Thanks coach. I'm doing better. All of these are great ideas. And you even said it too earlier that we have to be willing to work hard and put in the time to prepare. I think that's what Mike, it's not that coaches don't want to do these things. It takes effort. Like it sure. takes time. And, but how, how important. How important is that execution late in the game? How important is them not hitting that mistake? And and, and how much more, uh, not stress-free, but peaceful can we be in practice or in games knowing that we actually saw, you know, those three ways that they could hear it, see it, do it. They've done all of them. It gives us the best chance to be successful here. But we might just, if we don't show them the film, we're not prepared, we'll just throw out that nugget hoping that, you know, a week later they remember that out of the 5% of the stuff they remember from a week later. Coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Shoot360. The future of basketball has arrived in Dallas-Fort Worth. Shoot360 combines the latest sports technology 
with the fundamentals of basketball skill development. The result is a -a one-of-a-kind video game-like basketball program designed to improve your shooting, dribbling, and passing. Visit Shoot360DFW.com to learn more and register for your free one-hour workout evaluation. Shoot360, the future of basketball is here. Golly, you just won a national championship. So I, I I don't know how to ask this, but like what what's one thing or I, I had to talk with Robert e, or Kevin Eastman and he, I asked him a one thing question. He, he didn't get mad at me, but he did say like, I don't like one thing questions. <laughs> and I was like, I apologize. What are some things that make your program different? Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. And, and Kevin, Kevin's a friend of mine. He might get a little upset. I'm going to give you one thing. <laughs> Practice. Hmm. Uh, 44 years of coaching starting this year. And Kim Malky design practices are absolutely the best thing uh, I've been around. And and Kevin could attest to that. You know, we brought Kevin in. Our, our team read Kevin's book last summer, uh, Why the Best are the Best. Yeah. And we went ahead and we brought Kevin in and, and he talked to our team. Uh, and stuck around and watched practice. And, and you know, one of the things he talked about, he says, I, I could tell when watching you guys practice, you're going to be good. Now, to Kevin's point, there's a lot of things involved in having a good practice. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Bob Knight said, the structure and execution of your practice is the singularly most important item to your team's success. And 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 I, I believe in that. Now, there's a lot of different ways to practice. Uh, I know John Wooden used to work on offense one day and defense the next day. Uh, Gary Blair would work on offense the first two hours of practice and defense the last hour. Uh, here we mix it up a little offense, a little bit of defense. So I just named you, you know, three great coaches, but (laughs) some things that I think that are important in practice. Uh, number one is that you're working on things that matter. Uh, too often, uh, coaches want to run a drill because they like the drill. They, you know, they saw this coach do this drill uh, at a clinic, man, and it's a good drill. It's a good look, but it it doesn't fit what we do. Uh, you know, a, a, a great uh, a Don Meyer thing I actually posted today. It's Meyer Monday. Be a skill coach, not a drill coach. You know, simplistic. I remember one time being at uh, Coach Meyer's house in the summer. I used to stay with him in the summer. Hmm. And we were up on the third floor in his den and he had this big notebook and he was going through there and he was marking on every now and then he'd take a page out. And finally I said, coach, I'm just curious, what are you doing? He says, I'm removing some drills and some plays from our, our playbook and our drill book that we don't need to use next year. How many coaches do that? We're always looking for something new to add. How many of us peel the layers back and eliminate things that we don't need? Uh, so, uh, I think it was Pete Carrillo said, be good at the things that you have to do a lot. So for instance, for us, Kim is huge, huge in, in, in a post game. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I, I, I don't care how the game's evolved. You still win the ball game in the paint. So we have a post feed series drill that's, it's outstanding. And there's a lot of variables to it. Uh, how we defend the post every day, how we defend the perimeter every day, all those kind of things. But every day we practiced 101 times last year, 101 times we did this drill. Hmm. People want to know why we were so good at getting the ball inside. Boom. Our shooting drills are related to shots that they get within our offense. Uh, Our defensive drills are based around how we want to play. Uh, 
we probably do more. No, not probably. We do more shooting than any program I've ever been around. Almost every program I've been around, I've worked with some great coaches. We always say, man, I wish we could have got some more shooting in. Yeah. Here we, we, we get shooting in. <laughs> Uh, the flow of practice is intense. There's, there's no, there's no water breaks. Uh, we have water set up on both ends. When you're out of a drill, you want to go grab a drink. That's fine, but we're not stopping and giving you a blow. So, uh, but the, 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 from, from drill to drill, you're sprinting. I mean, it's, it's nonstop. Uh, there's a little bit of chaos involved, which I think is very important. You know, Shashevsky was big in that, uh, creating chaos with the structure of your practice because games are chaotic. Uh, like I said earlier, her verbiage, uh, the things she says, when she says them, they're priceless. I mean, I, I've been in it long enough to where I just marvel at it. Now I'll, I'll, I'll tell her, I said, you know, uh, I don't know if anybody else picked on, but I knew exactly what you were doing when you said what you said to Ladeja today. I said, that was beautiful. Uh, and Coach, like how said, much of that is talent, just her ability. How much of that is the craft and and, and how long she's been doing it at a high level? It's a great question. And I think it's both. Yeah. Remember first that Kim used to be a point guard. Yeah, that's so true. She's got that point guard instinct. She also played for and worked for Leon Barmore. So she's been around the best. So I can tell you some of it just comes from naturally being around it, but I also know from being in staff means go over to practice. And she says, at some point, I got to make sure I get this point across to my team today. I hope they give me a window. Oh. he's just not going to force it. It's, it's something's ah. got to happen where she can flow into it. And if it doesn't happen, she'll jot it down and, and work for it the next day. So when you talk about being prepared for practice, not just about the drills and what you're teaching, but what are you saying to your team today? Uh, I think I told you earlier, she's uh she's the master of, of knowing when to stay with the drill and when to get out of it. Guy, we had, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you two stories. Um, uh, uh, it's February and it's a grind. It's the SEC. Holy crap. And we just, we played a road game the night before and we getting ready to come to practice. And, you know, the kids come out she says, come on, we roll outside. There's a bus. We take them to get some ice cream day over day over. Feel. Uh, we'll come, we'll she just come felt back. it. Just felt it. Next day we're going to come back. We'll do, uh, we'll, we'll go do game prep tomorrow and then we'll play the next day. Now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. We're in the NCAA tournament. First round, we play Hawaii. Play pretty good, not as good as we could. We're coming off SEC tournament loss. Again, the grind, it's March, you know. So you have one-day prep, so you play play Hawaii on, on Thursday. You got Friday to prep, and then you got to play a really good Michigan team on Saturday. Kids come in. She hears a couple of them on the side talking about, my legs are heavy, my legs are tired. And so – we go through a, a few few things there that we do early in our, our pre-practice, and you can tell their energy's not there. She goes ballistic. Legs are tired? That's fine. Guess what? We're done today. You can take the day off. Get out of here. Rest your legs. We'll let Michigan handle us, and you have the rest of the spring off for your legs. So, And you know what players do, Coach? We're sorry. We're sorry. No, 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 no. You came in here with the wrong mindset. You cannot flip that switch on. We're in March Madness. You're not ready to play. Get out of my gym. She went and told the manager to turn the lights out. So the kids leave. Now, what she did was she gave them the day off but got their attention at the same time. So the next day is game day against Michigan. And she tells me, she says, first part of walkthrough, I want you to go over their inbounds plays. We've got to get that in. But when you're done, I'm going to toss them again. 
So I come out, I go over their inbounds plays, how we want to defend them. She said, I, you, guys, I, you guys just don't get it. You don't know where you're at. You don't understand that one bad quarter and it's over with. Get out. Get out. They say, coach, we're not leaving. So she says, okay, my coaches, let's go. We leave. We walk up the ramp. We go into our little coach's locker room where we have a camera. And we watch those players run a perfect game day practice. They went through their drills, snappy, crisp. They went over the scout with themselves, and we come out and we beat a really good Michigan team by 20. Now, ice cream one day, toss them out the next day. You have to know your team and where you're at. I would imagine, too, the reason they were able to do that walkthrough at such a high level that started back at, you said, 101 practices. Those standards start back at the beginning. Sure. Yeah, that's our call. That's our standard. And and we do have standards at practice. People want to know how we play the way that we play. A, part, a big part of our culture is the intensity and execution that we demand at practice, that they demand of themselves. Uh, we've had players that, and Kim will do it, we have a player call timeout in practice. She's not happy. She'll, she'll, she'll bring her teammates together and say, guys, you know, we're just, we're about two minutes from coach going off on us. We need to clean up A, B, and C. So that, like I said, practice is a separator for us. I really think our greatness comes about the way we practice, how we practice. That starts with Kim, uh, but then the kids buy in. I got a couple of questions, if you don't mind, about practice and your your ideas behind it. I think one thing, like I love that you said most coaches say they want more shooting. I think a lot of coaches also say they wish they had scrimmaged more. Mm-hmm. They wish they had, they, they had practiced situations more. How much of it is parts that you're putting together, individual post drill, post feed drills? How much of it is four and four, five on five situations? I would say uh, early on, it's about 50 50. Uh, Later in the season, it's probably 33 breakdown, 67 whole method. Uh, Something I've never been around is when practice starts in the first two months, uh, we break down and teach a lot. On Saturday, we come in, we go through uh, some shooting, uh, our post-feed series, and then we're scrimmaging with referees and clocks. She wants to let them play. She wants to let them play. They love it. Uh, They know Saturday's not going to be this long three-hour deal. We're going to be in out there about an hour and a half, but we're going to play. We got clocks, uh, situations. Uh, and that's a, and like I said, we get a lot out of it and the kids enjoy it every Saturday. Now, once, when the game start, obviously, that changes. That sure. changes. But I do think it's important. You know, this is a this is a Bob Knight thing. You know, Bob Knight said there's three parts of basketball: offense, defense, and conversion. And I think too many times when coaches are working on their offense and defense, they stay on one end of the floor. The most important part of conversion is the mental part. And you just can't tell kids get back. They've got it. So even if you want to spend all your time on offense, so say you're working on five on five offense, the ball's missed convert to the other end. As soon as the ball crosses half court, stop, reset, run your offense. That's going to take about maybe five more seconds. Uh, But that conversion part uh, is a big part of it. Playing one possession, stopping and walking back. Yeah. I can't imagine how many points are given up throughout a season because of those habits that are being created. And players want to convert a little bit. You you, you know, try to get kids involved in practice. Yeah. How often, so you you have that scrimmage time, 
And then you talked about the 33%, 33%. At what point in the year do you stop going, you know, kind of bone on bone? Or do you continue to compete live against each other throughout? Because there's that whole idea of, yeah, I, I would love to block out a little bit better, but I also would rather have them healthy, you know, in conference time. What's that look like for you? Well, it's a little bit of a feel. It's yeah. where you're at in the season, where your kids are, who you're playing. Uh, on the women's side, uh, we're fortunate that we have a male scrimmage team. So, uh, you know, we, we, I, we've done this before. You know, we, it's late in the year, and our starters will come in and get one or two reps in, five on five, running a little bit of offense or guarding something. Then we'll bring our, our second group in and let them go seven or eight times because they need some reps too at some point in the season. So mm. we're getting our reps to stay sharp, but we're, we're, we're not killing them either. Uh, but there's been times where, 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 where Kim had a blockout drill in and we got in practice February. She goes, tell you what, I don't think it's a good idea for us to do this war drill today. And so <laughs> again, just because you write it down or type yeah. it, down, it's not a contract. You get in there, we're banging hard, you know, uh, got you know, early when I was at LSU and, and working for Coach Gunner, we were playing against Pat Summit in Tennessee. Those were the most amazing practices I've ever been a part of. It was Tennessee. Your kids were juiced up. Those practices always had to be cut short. Yeah. We thought we were going to kill each other. They were going so hard. So uh, you, you got to have a feel. You've mentioned Bobby Knight's name a few times. He was at Texas Tech when I was at Baylor, one of the uh, – few claims to fame is my senior year you know it'd been such a hard year and he I, we'd able to play against each other a few times he, and he would shake the head coach's hand but then go right in he wouldn't go through the player line and I thought my last time we're in Lubbock they just beat us even though we were up four at half which we shouldn't have been but with six players but uh you know we we I, he shakes hands I see him going and I just take off on the line and I meet him at half court shook his hand, he put his arm around me, said some really kind things. And I, we lost the game, but that was just one of those moments for me because I think as a player, I played for Dave Bliss, who was his first assistant. It was basically a version of Bobby Knight, you know, maybe a little bit better in you know out in front of people at that time. And so you, you've mentioned his name. Uh, we've been talking process-based a lot. How do you feel like he was in that – arena was he outcome based or process oh, I based he, i think he was definitely process based okay. and I, I think some of the uh the indicators that were watching his teams play and uh his team's up 30 and and he's still pissed off at somebody <laughs> because they didn't execute because it's yeah. it, not about the score with him it's it's about i mean that was a guy that was uh guys constantly looking for the perfect game uh, probably more so than anybody that's been in the business. You know, Coach Knight was in Indiana while I was growing up in West Virginia, so was a, a big Indiana fan. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story because I think it's – it's I always tell the story when I speak. It's the most important lesson I've ever learned as a coach. My junior high coach at the time, Alan Osborne, was a Bob Knight guy. I mean, played man-to-man, -man, uh, ran motion offense. We had candy stripe warm-up pants just like the Hoosiers. <laughs> and when I got into coaching – uh, Alan and I and 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 Jim Boone went with the sum. We would go to Bloomington, usually get out there on a Friday and watch Friday, Saturday, and Sunday practice and come back. And those practices were life-changing. I mm -hmm. mean, he he was just a master 
practice coach. They would come out. Uh, first of all, you walk in there and, and they they had like seven or eight managers with white T-shirts, red shorts. Who's your basketball? They have a ball here, a towel over here spread out. Uh, they had three managers up in the bleachers keeping stats, one filming. Uh, they've come out pre-practice, post on one end, perimeter one end. He would come out the corner, whistle. They would go at downstairs in the locker room, excuse me, and go over the, the emphasis of the day. Then they would come out and practice. It would be part method, part method, whole method, part method, part method, whole method. And we talk about verbiage. I've never seen a coach that could stop practice and get his point across in fewer words than night. I've mm. been around some who would have to stop and almost give a dissertation to get to the point. <laughs> night could get there immediately. And I just remember always driving back thinking that all young coaches should have to come to Bloomington, watch night, and learn how to practice. This one particular year, this one particular year, matter of fact, uh, Jim, Jim was with us and practice. And Indiana had been canceled on Sundays. So on the way back to West Virginia, we stopped at Louisville to watch Teddy Crumb practice. One manager had blue jeans on and a heavy metal sweatshirt sitting up on the scoreboard. One of the assistant coaches was in the corner smoking a cigar. They came out and they did about 10 minutes of two, two line layups. And then they scrimmaged. And uh, 10 days later, Louisville went to Bloomington and beat Indiana by 18 points. And the lesson I learned there is there's a lot of different ways to coach. Now, went back and watched Diddy Crumb practice several times. That wasn't a, a normal practice, but his practices were never like Knights. Knights yeah. was intense. Denny's was was more laid back. Uh, but you got Knight, man-to-man, no switching. We don't press. We run motion. Uh, Louisville, uh, switching everything. Uh, running UCLA high post, two-two-one press. Completely different guys, different programs, both of them Hall of Famers, both of them multiple championships. And I love to tell that story because yeah. when I'm I'm speaking, I'm speaking to you, but this is not the only way to do it. Yeah. This is the way I've been around that works for me, but there's a lot of different ways to succeed. I think the, the nugget or the takeaway for me is to be yourself, mm. be yourself, know who you are, but also strive for excellence. Because even in that laid back style, I'm pretty sure you were able to see there was some excellence that was happening. No you question. Know, the, the, the trying to be our very, very best and to do it the best we can. But I think that's reassuring for me because, man, I, 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 as someone who loves the game and wants to get better and better at it, that fear that the kids feel of, or not fear, but the comparing game, comparison is the thief of all joy. Yeah. I feel that at times when I, hear about other coaches and I hear what they do and I'm thinking, man, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm do that or I'm that good or if I'm looking into it the same way. And, but then you have to be yourself, not try to be somebody else, but be careful of slippage and laziness coming in and, and, and trying to pursue excellence still. Yeah. Learn from the best, but always be yourself. You've mentioned a few guys that unfortunately can't go watch their practices anymore. What yeah. are some people now that you would say, like, Coach, this is one that you got to go see while you can? Uh, Jim Boone. Uh, yeah. Jim Boone is one of the absolute best practice coaches I've ever been around. Mm -hmm. And by the, you know, while I'm thinking about it, 
it doesn't have to be a big time BCS coach, you know, right. Uh, there's, there's some high school coaches I would go watch uh, some of the small college, the, the mid majors. Uh, Tom Izzo would be right up at the list. Uh, Bennett at Virginia would be at the list. Uh, Gino at UConn. Uh, what about some smaller coaches? Like you said, that maybe some names that not everybody would know. Well, you know, one guy you mentioned earlier that I think is just an excellent teacher is Doug Novak. Yep. Uh, you know, and he's uh, he's a very detailed guy. Uh, he's also a guy who uh, he runs a great practice. Uh, he has a great understanding of concepts, both offense and defense. And I think watching small college guys because they 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 especially if you're a high school coach because small college, you know, I'm, I'm telling we got ten man staff here at LSU. Uh, you know, I, I just went down and saw Jim. He's got 25 players and two assistant coaches and, uh, he's not worried at all. I mean, he's organized. He's, he knows how he's going to break it down and work with it and all that. But I think sometimes, and the other thing, don't, don't just, if you're on the men's side, yeah, there's great women's coaches out there and, and, and vice versa. Uh, gosh, uh, go out and watch a football practice sometime. Watch the organization attention to detail. Uh, I talked to you earlier about West Virginia State College and uh, being in the van with uh, Cal Bailey after a baseball game and talking about everything from team development to discipline to uh, communication with players. There, there's, there's, there's just a lot of people out there you can learn from. How do analytics play a role? And Because you, you did mention that the game, no matter what people say or how they play, the game is still one in the paint. How do – analytics play in your coaching style well i'm i'm a big analytics guy uh but i think the problem people make about analytics is they let uh, a la analytics make the decisions for them mm. to me analytics is like a gps uh it takes me to where i go to look for things so uh what i like to do when i scout is pull up the analytics and see how they're scoring where they're scoring uh jot down some notes from that and then pour into the film you know, so if they are scoring, you know, like like if they're 43% of their points are coming in the paint, okay, well, now let me get in the film and see where that's coming from. Or, you know, if 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 uh 27% of their scoring is coming from behind the arc, well, you know, that doesn't mean I go in and tell Kim, hey, we got to defend the three. No, I, I better tell her, hey, uh they're making about nine, eight or nine threes a game and transition on the left hand side, you know analytics needs to to point me in the direction that I need to do the work. Hmm. And uh, I, I think especially young coaches have to be careful thinking about they can just punch in numbers and uh, a game plan comes from that. You know, uh, one of the things I learned from Gino a long time ago about scouting, he he's more concerned with concepts than he is, you know, the schematic part. Like uh, he wants, you know, the percentage of their shots are coming from the elbow that he's more concerned with that than, uh, the the 42 plays that they run. And, yeah. and that that's really helped me a lot. Um, but, I, I, you know, going back, I, I, I do believe uh, the best teams have a paint game. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean you've got a great low post player. I'll tell you, the, the very first uh, World's Championship that Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors won, they led all NBA teams in the playoff with paint touches, paint touch threes. Um, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, 
Uh, he would have hold up five. That meant five passes. He hold up fifths. That means the ball's got to touch the paint. Hmm. He was big on paint touch threes. Uh, getting to the free throw line, you know that 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 comes from attacking the paint, and it, you, your paint game can come from low post play. It can come from dribble penetration. It can come from transition offensive boards. And that's not to say you can't have a mid range game and a three point game. You know, probably yeah. the guy uh, in, in our game that's known for the the, the three point shot right, right now is 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 Mike Neighbors at Arkansas. Nobody is getting the ball up quicker and getting threes up more than Mike. Well, let me tell you something. Nobody's getting the ball to the rim better than Mike. Yeah. It's a three. It's at the rim. So uh, he he's using one to set up the other and vice versa. So I, I think paint plays really important. But but, but the, back to your point is uh, analytics gives you hints and clues. They don't give you answers. Uh, and I think that's really important for young coaches to know. I think that's maybe a danger too in having a style of play or a system that's based on a certain amount of this you have to get, a certain amount of this equals that. Like I was, I really looked at the Grinnell system for a long time. I think Coach Arsenault is there is some genius there, and and that sure. that style of play, the five in five out, that's the part that I, I I could never wrap my head around. But you know they had this formula that if you do these things that I'll, and and all five happen like it's a 99% and and but the danger of that is is maybe you stop looking at what actually fits your team that year and you're just stuck with a formula and maybe that's a problem too if you have a board with categories that you're trying to achieve every game where do you kind of land on that well I, I, there's has to be some things that are important to your program um Certainly, uh, yeah, and and I say this all the time. I, you know, I, I could have said this a hundred years ago, and and I could live to be four hundred years old, and we could do this thing again. I'm still going to tell you uh, that the two most important things for successful basketball is taking care of the ball and rebounding, and the reason why is because that equals possessions. Mm-hmm. If if I'm turning the ball over, I'm not getting shots. Uh, if I, if I'm letting the other team beat me on the boards, they're getting more shots. Look at any box score, and any time there's a discrepancy in field goal attempts, the team with the most shots is usually going to win. Now, that sounds pretty simple, and everybody, well, well, of course, well, what are you doing every day to work on handling the ball and rebounding? Those two things. Those two things. So those those are two things that that we're going to talk about numerically when, when we're throwing stats out to our kids. Uh, field goal percentage is a common one. A big one with us, the way we play, is free throw shooting. We want to make more free throws than the other team attempts. So that's an offensive-defensive type of thing. And uh, I know, I know, like I know Mike has some specific numbers, the way they play with the three ball and uh, other coaches. I, I, I think you it, the way you play, certainly there has to be some things that have to be measured. Yeah, yeah. To be, but there was a – God, there was a really good uh, video of Buzz Williams out today. Uh, talking to his team about Albert Einstein, and talking about uh, you know there there there's some things that that I'm I'm, I'm going to screw it up. Uh, there's some countable things that don't count. There's some some things you can't count that are really countable. And what he was talking about is is the little things that make a possession important, whether it's offensively or defensively. You know, we can chart and assist. Uh, but you know, a, a screen, a cut, ball, you know, you, you just can't chart everything. Uh, but I do think there's a few things numerically that 
if that's really, really important to your team, I think it's important to chart. The word identity kept popping up in my head while you were talking is as a coach and as a team, you need to have an identity. Yep, their players need to know what are we trying to achieve every game to give us the best opportunity to win. And there's times where I've, I've played teams or maybe even coached some that over the course of the year, I'm not sure what our identity is. I know I've played some teams where at the end, I feel like I'm not I'm not sure if I know what they were really trying to accomplish, like what they were hanging their hat on. I think that identity part maybe goes back to feel and awareness as a coach is really important. Well, and the best coaches have an identity. Uh, I mean, I consider you, you, you ask anybody who played Pat Summit, they're going to talk about defensive and offensive rebounding. They're going to defend the heck out of you, and they're going to send five to the glass. You talk about Mike Neighbors' team, they're going to shoot the three. Uh, all great teams. I'll tell you a great identity story. Um, way back when Knight was in Indiana, he was putting on a one-man clinic uh, in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It was a day and a half, and as the clinic finished, he opened it up for questions. And uh, one of the coaches there raised his hand and said, you know, Coach, uh, what it, what do you think is the best zone defense to play? And, of course, you know, anybody that knows Knight knows that there's only one defense <laughs> to play. Well, Knight was great. Knight goes, well, that's a great question. But, you know, for us, we only believe – and man-to-man defense, that's the only defense we play. We, we we love the individual responsibility that comes with guarding. So Knight takes a few more other questions, and the same guy raises his hand. And Knight pauses a little bit where everybody just kind of, you know. <laughs> you know Holding and, their breath. <laughs> yeah. And the guy goes, Coach, I, I know you're a man-to-man guy, and I'm, you're, you're a great man-to-man coach, but if you were going to play a zone defense, which one would it be? And zones, the Knight's a little bit more. Stern, he goes, well, it, it wouldn't be any of them. I don't like any of them. That's why I wouldn't play. And uh, a few more questions. No way. I raised his hand, yeah. And now we're we're all on the edge of our seat. <laughs> and I'm going to clean up this a little bit for, for, for our audience. Appreciate the, that. The guy says, Coach, if the NCAA <laughs> passed a rule that you had to play zone defense, what would it be? And Knight said, I freaking quit. Now, don't raise your freaking hand again. <laughs> and it's it's obviously a funny story, but that's who they are. Identity. Now, he's saying that. You better know the players feel that's it. That's right. This is who the heck we are. We're a man-to-man team. And maybe maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe you're a zone team, you know. Uh, there's some great zone coach. Or maybe you're a transition team. But – you have an good teams have an identity in the way they play, and they take pride in that, and everybody knows what it is. What a great activity with your teams! Or next time you're you're with them, is for coaches to ask their players, you know, on the floor, like, what are we about? Yeah, what's our identity as a team? What when people watch us play, what do they take away from that? That what are the things that others would think we hold really important and dear to us? I'd be interested to see. I mean, for us, we do play a, a kind of a Doug Novak style of play, run, a pace and space. And we do use – I love the misconception of that if you shoot a lot of threes, you never get the ball to the paint. Coach, you're right on the money. It's smoke and mirrors. Because yeah. we shoot the three so much, we are pulling people out. If we're in dangerous spots, that paint is so easy to get to. And so even though – and I like you, I don't – I don't mind mid-range. I, I think it's 
I I w- I enjoy when other teams are banking on the mid range because I think over the course of the time our threes and our freeze our layups are are going to win out. But all going back to, um, I like for I like to think that my players would be able to in some way describe wh- what our identity is. Uh, I think it's a great exercise for your team, whether you call them up or give them a piece of paper to have them write it down. By the way, it's not a bad thing to do with your assistant coaches too. Yeah, see where their heads at. Yeah, yeah. Are we are we all on the same page here? Do we all do we all understand what? Because and it's not their fault. Maybe they played a different style, had worked for other coaches, have another philosophy. Well, maybe that's important in the hiring process is to, hey, this is our identity. Are you good with that? Because like when you shoot a lot of threes, coach, and especially if you're talking about shot scale and not looking up at that clock, not thinking about what had just happened in the past. Like how do you get shooters to shoot courageously? NATO, we're not attached to the outcome. You just missed nine in a row. But you know what? All the training we've done, percentages say the next one's in. It's hard for parents to watch that sometimes. It's hard for assistant coaches if they don't believe in that. When, they, when they're when they thinking, golly, can we do something different? No, no, no. We're going to stay the course. We're going to shoot that next one because we believe. Yep. Know who you are and be who you are. Another quote. I got yeah, keep going. Classic. Yeah. Be who you is because if you is who you ain't, you ain't who you is. It's one of Coach Myers' all-time favorites. Just a, a, a crazy way to say be yourself. Coach, how do you get to the point where all these quotes that you have, and you're going back a, a long ways to clinics that you were at, things, you, how do you get to where they come to your mind, you know, so quick, and you're able to articulate them that way? Well, I think the the ones that 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 I'm able to do that with are the ones that have just resonated with me, hmm. uh, that have had a message or a purpose. Uh, I can promise you it. I uh, just turned 64 a few days ago. There's there, there's times where I'm trying to remember a quote and it won't come to me. So <laughs> thank God for Google search. That's right. Uh, but there's certainly the ones who uh, have impacted me or, or things that I've used with my team. You know, I, I, you, you get any team that's that's been around a coach for, and they're going to be able to mimic uh, and repeat some of the classic phrases. I, 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 we talked about this earlier. Uh, one of my absolute favorites I've got from Don Myers being an NBA player, next best action. Yeah. And I use that every single day in practice. Somebody will make a turnover. And I say, be NBA, NBA, be an NBA player. Next best action. By the way, that's not just a mistake. That's a good thing. Sometimes players make a good play. Oh, they stay yeah. they're, they're doing all this stuff. And yeah, sure, celebrate, <laughs> looking, looking for mom and pop. So what I love is when we're in a game and a, and a kid makes a mistake and I hear five kids on the bench, you know, NBA, NBA. Man, that's good. So, uh, yeah. So I, I love things that, 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 that resonate with me for a reason. Uh, it's kind of a lot of them seem to come from coach Meyer. That's, that's not surprising though. I think so much of culture, it's not just a slogan or an acronym or something you have on a T-shirt, something you have on your wall. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But so much of it is the actual language that you that you use as a team. And we I know we've hit that a bunch, but like when you that NBA, the next best action when when your players PGC was so great with the sticky language. And I would say uh, when our when my guys attend a PGC session, they come back like coach, we 
we had heard all that stuff because it, it, it just it sticks with you. But yeah. like things like that, I mean, to me, when the other players are saying those phrases, then culture is is alive and moving. I do. And it, but you said something I thought that was, was pretty good. When your kids came back from PGC, they they already knew it. And that that means it stuck with them. And, and yeah. I think that, I think I think verbiage, uh, phrases, uh, wording, number one, it has to stick. And then the second thing, it has to lead to action. If it resonates with them and gets them to do something positive, uh, then that's good stuff. Love what you said about Coach Knight speaking so clearly in practices and getting his point across. And one of my things is coaching tweets. Uh, I, some co- I coach said that, like yeah. coaching little sound bites. And, and a, a thing that I've heard a lot of coaches say that you should do something they did at PGC when I was directing is that we we'd get evaluated, you know, we, they, they would time how long we took to demonstrate or to put in a drill or to get our point across for coaches, especially high school coaches, get a lapel mic and record yourself throughout and just see how much is filler. See how many times you're repeating the same thing over and over when just one time is good enough. Uh, That's been, uh, it's hurt my, my pride and my ego. That's for sure. Yeah, it's got you better. Here's one. Rick Patino, seven second correction. Rick Patino said you're gonna correct somebody seven seconds. Uh when I worked uh for Coach Gunner, if uh, if we were scrimmaging or we're in a drill and we want to correct a player, take the player out of the drill, put somebody in so the drill could continue. Uh all those things lead to uh improved pace of practice. And I I'm just when you ask me the most important thing in practice, it's pace. Yeah. Uh, not only because that's the way the games play, because I, but I think that's how it keeps players involved. There, there just can't be a lot of drag time. You know, uh, John Wooden, uh, and Kim Mulkey, by the way, same way, uh, put in new stuff at the beginning of practice mm. while they're fresh. Like before we get through – to like if we're putting in a couple new sets, that's the very first thing we do. Then we'll go to our, our, our pre-practice shooting and our, our post-feed series. Uh, you know, just every, you know, like I said, practice to me is everything. So yeah. the verbiage, the the placement of this, uh, the 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 pace, all of that because you're practicing 101 times. That that's that's your preparation for the test. The better the preparation, the better the score is going to be on the test. That's good. I haven't read any of Doug Lamov's stuff yet. I've heard it's like a textbook that you that that you have to go through. You got it here. Yeah, I'm about to lose my computer right here. <laughs> yeah. Must read right here. Must read. Dusty May, we yeah. were having a hoops talk, and he said he talk, they do the new thing at the beginning of practice. They'll put in a new set, and then at random times throughout, in the middle of a defensive drill, hey, get into five low, get into five, you know, and they'd hit it again. And I think I, I told him this, and I think that that was such a shift for me because – I. We start out being teachers. Like that is what we're doing. It just happens to be it's not English or or math. It's basketball. But how often do we continue to stay current with the best teaching practices? And you've mentioned it a little bit. And because I'm guilty of, hey, new out of bounds play, we put it in. I don't hit it again, even in live time. But then three nights later, they're down the baseline, five low, five low. And I get five sets of eyes looking at me and then I, 
we worked on this. <laughs> no, you did it. Like you, you did it for five seconds four days ago. We got to continue to hit it. And he mentioned that Doug Lamont, which obviously you're you're holding it in your hands. <laughs> uh, he and that's that's uh, he also wrote the book uh, Perfect Practice, which I I can't recommend enough. He's he's just excellent teaching. By the way, uh, uh, your slobs, your blobs, your late game situations. Kim does that at the end of the practice, uh, but she does it like this. So, so maybe we're working uh, five on four shell defense and we end up for four minutes and she'll just stop. And our managers will already be ready for it, but she'll say uh, 17 seconds, uh, purple ball on the side. We're running blue one down, blue one down, and they got to hurry up and do it. And they'll do it one down and then we'll go back to five on four. Brilliant. So, or, you know, we'll we'll be working on our, our press defense for two or three minutes and she'll stop and she'll say, okay, uh, angel one lob, angel one lob, and that's an inbounds play. And we got to hurry up and run down there. So she likes doing inbounds plays and late game situations. So she'll, she'll put one, like she wants that to be chaotic and on the run to see how they respond. There's two things that I, I hope I always keep. And I really have felt them from you throughout this talk. Uh, one is curiosity, like Ted Lasso. It's such a fun show to watch, and he just he talks about how they. I don't still the, to the the manager's you know ex husband. I just don't feel like you're a very curious person. <laughs> like what a slap right there. I, I want to stay <laughs> curious, but then also uh, humility. Like oh, I want to stay humble, Coach. These talks they they keep me humble because you start to think. I mean. I, just a 5A, 5A taps, which is a small private school coach. But you start to think after a few years, you know, I'm getting the hang of this. And then you get to talk to people that just open your mind to there's just so many more ways to do it, better ways. And when I hear about like Coach Mulkey, somebody that I respect a ton, that she is takes the time late to to work on those situations and the way she does it, um, yeah, it's just – I. I think what are characteristics that, that hopefully coaches have curiosity and, and humility. Well, and I'll tell you this too. I, th I think this is an important thing. And I, whenever I speak, I talk about this, but I think the two most important things that we teach as coaches, it's not dribbling, passing, shooting, rebounding. The two most important things that we teach our kids is how to think and how to talk. If your team can think and they can talk, I don't care what your system play is, we're going to be awfully, awfully good. Yeah. Now, I have yet to have a coach disagree with me, but then I'll say, okay, what are you doing every day to teach thinking and talking? Yeah. You know? So, like, that, those, those drills right there that where she – but, yeah. boy, they're, they're, they're talking, they're thinking, and, uh, you know, Knight had a, 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 a series of drills where he – he would have uh, – they do five-on-four open perimeter shell. Uh, they also had to do a four-on-four shell. Uh, they did a five-on-five -five change series. They had like five – so he had something that he would call chaos. And he would just yell, five-on-four change, red ball. And they would play one position. And he'd yell, four-on-four change, half-court, white ball. And he and, and so all the – and you, you don't – you have to decide if, if you had five on the floor, now you got a four. You got to hurry up and pick. So he's got them thinking and talking. It's just bang, 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 bang. So, and I'm not saying that's what every coach needs to do, but 
if you're not incorporating thinking and talking, you're really missing two big time elements to being the best you can be. So coach, you're saying that me or any coach is walking down the sidelines saying, Hey, we need to talk more. We need to talk more. You're saying that's, that's not enough. You know what? You know what's funny about that is I did uh I, I spoke at the Louisiana High School Coaches Convention and my topic was transition defense. And I said, let me get this out of the way. A coach yelling, get back. <laughs> That's not a transition <laughs> defensive game plan right there. That's a, not what we're trying to get it's to. It's a bad strategy. But we're all yeah. guilty of that. Oh, no we're doubt. We're all yelling, get by. Sprint, we're all, yeah, talk more. Yeah. Why do they not know to sprint already by now? How have I failed them to where we don't understand to sprint as soon as it changes? Yeah. <laughs> Coaches, the Jamoni podcast is powered by Bology. Manage and measure your players' skill development and increase accountability year-round utilizing the Bology app. Boost inter-squad competition with drills backed by the National High School Basketball Coaches Association, including a 40-shot Bology skills assessment. Please visit Bology.com teams for information on how you can provide this resource for your team. The coachisms. Like those are things. PGC helped me out, out with that a lot. When, when you got Mono Watsa sitting in the in the you know in the stands taking notes, critiquing your gym session. With the whole, and you walk over to him, he's got lists of things. And, you know, Matt, I just need, I think you need to, instead of just forcing them to do it, help them to make the choice where they need it. They want to do it themselves. And it's just like, but, but it's easier for me just to threaten them to do it you know, or to force those, those. It's important to be stretched and just to keep trying to eliminate some of those coachisms that it's only for us. Like, yeah. like, uh, like here's, and I love to hear maybe some of yours, but one is when you ask them, does that make sense? But then you go completely on to the next thing. Are you really asking them for response? Like, do you understand? What are your questions? Or is that just something for you to say to make yourself feel good and then move on to the next thing? That's, those are hard habits to break. They are, not, but I, I do think you hit on something really important. I, th I think that one of the most important things we can do in teaching is to ask questions. Like I told you, you know, Roy Williams stops and, you know, did you think John took a good shot there? You didn't. Well, explain to me why. Why do you think that was a bad shot? You know, were, were you where you were supposed to be? Were you supposed to be in help? Well, show me where you're supposed to be. Now tell me why. I think asking questions is huge. And I'm like, when we watch film, I rarely tell players, you should have been here. You should, I'm always saying, now tell me where, yeah. what should you have been here? Yeah. Why, what do you why, see? Why what do you see? This? Yeah. 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 By the way, those PGC guys, man, those, those, the thing I love about PGC guys is uh, they're continual learners. Like I run into Mono on the road and he's peppering me with questions and I'm trying to pepper him with questions. And, uh, you know, TJ's the same way. And Sam, those, yeah. Uh, that's why those guys are so good at what they do. Uh, yeah. Number one, they they generally care about teaching and growing the game, but they're always looking for better ways. I go way back with with I go back to when uh, Dina Evans. I, I actually I, oh, I wow. met Davidzio. So you did uh, or never did? Uh, I did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did, yeah. Spent some time with Dale Brown and and discussed some things that they wanted to do with basketball off the court, uh, trying to help players. Believe it or not, Dick. 40, 50 years ago, thought players should, should be getting paid. Yeah, yeah. And had some ideas that he he wanted to run past Dale uh, to try and help there. Now, obviously, it, it took us <laughs> a half a century for some of those things to come fruition. 
but I, man, you can't get me you can't get me say enough good things about the PGC people. Man, I got to go to two. I call myself a grad. You know, I, I got to attend it twice as an athlete in high school while Dick was running it. And I just I never seen somebody at that point in my life just so passionate for the game yep. and, and 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 a genius. But but also too like my my last year is right before I was about to go to Baylor and and my I my parents I made sure that they let me to go to one more session because I felt like this is going to help these concepts not just on the floor but also with like how to be a good teammate. Uh, he actually would give us things and and. This is just a quick story. I know this isn't, it's not supposed to be about me, but uh, I'm sitting on the bench, you know, and, and with Dave Bliss. And Dick had given me and all of us some ideas of how we can stay in our coach's mind, almost like psychological warfare. And it, the whole idea was whatever the coach is saying, because my freshman, sophomore year, I was fighting for every bit of playing time I could get because I'm not that special, you know, athletically. And, you know, and he said, just, you listen to what the coach is saying, and then you mimic those reminders out to the floor to your teammates. So when coach is saying we got to block out, I would I would loudly, hey, guy, fellas, let's get on the boards. Let's go. I want a coach bliss to be hearing my voice so that in the moment, I don't know if it really happened, but man, I got to play. Uh, if If he was to look down or think we need a change, he's been hearing my voice for the last 20 minutes. But, you know, but Dick was so great with teaching those things and staying up with us till four in the morning and talking hoops to high school kids and super special. I'll tell you uh, one more Don Meyer story that uh, dealt actually with PGC. Uh, I've been at LSU for a while and uh, had I, I knew Dina back when she played at, at UVA and had got to know Mono and Dina. And Mono came to Baton Rouge and stayed at my house for about two, three days and offered me a position with PGC. That wow. was, was a pretty nice position. And we had some ideas that we were throwing around and some new things we wanted to do and, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I told him I need a day or two. And as so happened, the, the day they left, Don Meyer came to town, stayed a couple of days in my house cause he was speaking to Louisiana high school coach association. And I told him, you know, I've, I've got this wonderful opportunity, uh, to go work for BGC. I love these people. I, I, I think their values are good. I, I, I love their culture. And I'll never forget. He told me, he says, let me tell you something. He said, you'll go to work for PGC and, and, and you'll do a great job because you love to teach and you'll do great things. And all I'm going to tell you is when you don't have a team, a group of people to build, there's going to be a hole in your soul. He said, some people may be able to just go and work individually and make players better. Like some of these trainers and PGC is, is doing a super job. He said, but I think you're going to want to be part of building a team. And I, I turned it down. And uh, I think there's some truth to that. I think sometimes when the job gets difficult and kids are a pain in the butt and the boosters are on your butt and the AD's cutting your budget, I think it's real easy for us to forget how blessed we are to be part of a team. Man. I joke or not jokingly, but walk around here. People ask, teachers will ask, hey, how's your day? How you doing? I just tell them living the dream. Yeah. Like I've, I've been loving basketball since I was nine years old and I get to be around it every single day and help kids learn who they are. And like you said, learn to think and talk, but also how they're going to handle adversity later on in their life. I get 
I get paid to do this and some silent study halls and some off periods. It's a pretty sweet gig, but man, I'm living the dream. And I, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah, we're blessed. No doubt. It's so much fun to to hear from guys with 30, 40 plus years of experience, how you've been able to balance coaching and family life. I'm probably right in the middle of it. There's probably some coaches that are just starting out. They first couple of years, new bride, they've got a, you know, or, or new kids and just have a newborn. How did you do that? What were some tips to balancing those two things over the years? Uh, I'll start with this. If, if you're looking for true balance, you're not going to find it or you're not going to be in this job very long. There's just some time requirements that you can't get around. Yeah. Um, I think it's important if you can that the, when you're involved in a relationship with your spouse or partner, that they understand that. I think that needs to be the first part. Uh, uh, I, I, I'll tell you this when, uh, and I'm going to backtrack in a minute. Uh, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm not at work, I'm home. I'm not going out on a fishing trip with the boys. I'm not stopping at the bar. I'm not watching Monday night football. I, I'm home. I'm home and I've gotten so much better. Uh, I'll be honest with you. When I first uh, made my run at LSU, you know, this is my second tour of duty here. Uh, I went eight straight summers without going on vacation. Uh, my wife went on vacation with her friends, with her family. I didn't. Uh, I would spend two nights a week in the office. So we played Thursday, Sunday, Thursday after the game, I'm in the office breaking down film uh, doing scouts, all that, finish up about five o'clock in the morning, walk down the hall, shower, come back in my office, start today. Did that two times a week. Worked on Christmas Day. We would open presents. I, we'd hit, we'd have our dinner at noon. Uh, and then I'd come into work. And then, then my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was God's way of saying, your priorities are so out of whack. So now we're we're two or three vacations a year. I'm not spending the night in the office. Uh, if I have extra film work, I still find a way to get home, uh, say, 8 o'clock so I can spend a couple hours with her. And then when she goes to bed, then I pop open the laptop. Uh, I think um, as much as your spouse or partner will allow, involve them in the program. Uh, Sherry's going to go on some road trips. Kim Malky is the absolute best. We've got coaches, kids at practice, <laughs> coaches, kids on the plane. Uh, her grandkids are there. The, you know, one of the most iconic pictures was uh, the day before we played Iowa for the national championship, our photographer took a picture of her on the floor in the hotel ballroom playing with other coaches' kids before we met our team to go over Iowa scout. Yeah. Uh, but get them involved. You know, one of the things we do with our kids is, is my wife and I, we don't have kids. So every year we invite the team out to decorate our Christmas tree. Uh, we have Mardi Gras night at our house. So they come and Sherry's putting the beads on them and we're cooking jambalaya and gumbo. Uh, we'll have a couple cookouts in the summer that Sherry puts on. So uh, she gets really involved with them and that helps. Uh, but I'm probably a, a bad guy to ask because I was abusive in terms of trying to find balance early. I used the, this is what I need to be successful, honey, so we can pay the bills and live the lifestyle. And, and then, like I said, God has an amazing way of 
kicking you in the butt when you need it. And and so then I, I started working smart. You know, I still get my job done, uh, but I find ways to do it. Uh, I, I, I schedule time. Like I told you, I schedule on Sunday. Well, I'm going to find a night on there that, that we're going to go to dinner. And that that's, I mean, I, that may not sound like the most romantic thing, uh, but I schedule dinner and, and, and she's more than most probably. Right. Yeah. And uh, you, 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 you know, we talked earlier about fighting for your culture. You have to to fight for that balance. And it, it's, it's, it's gotta be more difficult for those coaches who have, have kids. Uh, but I've heard Kim, uh, we, we have a coach with a, a, a kid who was in a play and Kim found out about it, and it was it was during one of our evening practices. And Kim said, "If I see you at practice, I'll fire you. Go watch your kid." So, wow. uh, if you can find a program that cares about family, that will help you with your balance too. Coach, thank you for sharing that. I think super impactful. Um, Mike Neighbors, interestingly enough, I asked him that question. He said, "Don't try. Don't try to have yeah. balance. You can't do it." And it's so not, you're not true balance. Yeah, true balance. And you know, my my wife and I are are both in our, our second goal rounds. You know, yeah. we have a I've she has a 17-year-old, I have a 15-year-old, so we're you know, all kind of working together. But one thing she told me, her dad was a football coach for 35 years, just passed away almost a year ago. And she's told me that she knew what I did, you know, coaching and how important it was, but she said that she just never wanted to be second. She never wanted to feel that way. She had seen it growing up. She had felt it a little bit in her previous. And 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 we've had a pretty pretty nice go at it for the last 12 years. But the times where um, there has been any tension at all is when she started to feel second. And I love the fact that she tells the truth and lets me know how she's feeling. And then it's that kind of kick in the butt of like, how I'm so lucky to have her. How can I? put her behind anything else. And so, but to hear, you know, you said you were not a good example. No, I think that message is really important. And we learn a lot from our failures and, and others. Well, let me add this too. This is something that I've, I've, I've been very good at from day one. I don't take work home. Uh, when I pull in the driveway, sometimes I sit in that car for about 30 seconds, <laughs> but I don't care what type of, uh, event happened at practice or out of practice like if 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 I have a discipline issue with one of my kids my wife has never heard about it uh that you know we got a situation where I may come home from practice like you know it, it's it's 609 here you know our kids had I may there may be two kids sitting in my uh kitchen eating you know so my kid has these relations my wife has these relationships yeah. with our players uh we we have former players that will uh, call and send her cards. I might not hear from them nearly as often, uh, but I, I don't want her to have an opinion of, uh, of one of these kids based on the fact that the kid missed class or mm. I can't and that's a good, that's hand. a good nugget. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't take any of it home. Uh, we, 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 you know, things aren't going well at the office. She doesn't know about, it. she will read about, uh, something bad in our program in the paper. You know, like, like, you know, so-and-so was suspended and somebody were calling goes, I don't know. He never tells me this stuff. Wow. That's a, that, but talk about balance though, or basically, uh, I guess standards, you know, just standards that you kind of created for not just the program for how you're going to be at home. And, you and be Michael Jordan, right? 
You got you, you got to be you got to be in the moment. Like like and this is something I've really had to work on. Uh early on uh in our marriage, we might be having a conversation and Sherry's talking and my mind is drifting to practice or the next game or you know and so I've really worked hard and gotten really good at when I'm home, I am 10 toes in. I am all about whatever she needs me to be about. And it's not easy, but you got to do it. What do you do with this? Because this will keep you connected to all the stuff going on outside there. Well, I, I, I'll tell you two things. <laughs> the first thing is, I carry it everywhere because Kim is a texting machine. <laughs> she she'll start texting at six in the morning and she won't stop till midnight. Uh, did we get this done? Bob, did you get a chance to look at, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then players. Uh, but as far as initiating stuff, when I come home, I don't initiate it. The secret weapon is I got my wife, one of these. So now when I'm home, she might be on the phone more than me. <laughs> you're just sitting there like well she's on it so <laughs> I, I joke with her all the time she says all the time i i don't i don't need an iphone I, and uh, so i got her an iphone and and she she's she's become one of us now <laughs> that's right coach uh the the speed round these are going to be quick questions uh, so many coaches know who you are but they might not know this information so first thing that pops in your head blurt it out am i getting graded on this uh, Coach Meyer shot selection scale. That's what we use for this. <laughs> Favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. Any toppings? Or you just kept like it plain? Oh, I, I, you know, I, I, a little bit of caramel would be good. But there I'm, you go. I'm vanilla is good. All right. Greatest. And I like this because you've coached on both sides. Um, let's, we'll start on, on the women's side. Greatest shooter of all time. Greatest shooter of all time. It has to be Simone Augustus. Just the prettiest mid-range jump shot. Every shot looked the same, uh, just smooth, and, and and coming off a crossover and pulling up in it. Yeah. What about on the on the men's side? Uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, also known to a lot of people as Chris, Chris Jackson. Jackson. Steph Curry before Steph Curry. Yeah. Like, unbelievable work ethic. Who was the head coach there at that time? Was it Dale, was it it was Dale, Dale Brown? Brown? Yeah. Wow. Chris' story is is absolutely amazing from from you know where he came from and what he had to battle. Of course, he had Tourette syndrome, and uh, but I, I I've never been around another player, male or female, uh, that worked during unrequired time the way Chris did. Wow. How? What? When were you at LSU the first time? When did you start? Uh, gosh, I think it would have been the late eighties. I tell I, my my first year on Dell staff was Shaquille's freshman year. Okay. Everybody, we were a package deal, but nobody's buying it. Nobody's buying it. <laughs> Only way you're getting Shaq is if yeah, uh, is get, if, me, uh, get Shaq. I'm just <laughs> just saying. Go, just smart on your part. Uh, the, <laughs> hey, any was there any time where Pistol Pete uh, would? I, I know. I think it was maybe '87 when he passed, or maybe even earlier than that. Any uh, crossovers with you and him over the years? Just. Uh, LSU ties. I'm huge Pistol Pete fan. Well, you know he uh, when they fired his dad, he never returned to campus. He was he was very disappointed wow. that LSU did that. Uh, but he had a great relationship with Dale. Yeah, it may be my first year on the staff. 
we were, everybody knows who Pistol is, but nobody's ever seen him. You know, you see him on TV or, you, you know, those Pistol Pete homework VHS tapes. That's how I got them. started. Yeah. So uh, we were out in L.A. playing UCLA and, and Dale called us up to his um, to his suite. And we're all sitting in his suite and his bedroom door opens and out comes Dale and, and Pete Maravich. And I mean, everybody just froze. Uh, and then, then Pete, Pete told his story, you know, that yeah. LSU, he drank a lot, didn't go to school, uh, didn't do a lot of things. He went in the pros and, uh, you know, he was about women and cars and money and, uh, and, and the whole time guys, I'm, I'm empty. I'm not enjoying myself. I'm not happy. And, uh, one night he, he, um, uh, got yeah. down by his, his bed and pulled a gun to take his life and it jammed and. He said he couldn't explain it, but that at moment he felt God yep. and his life forever changed. And from that point on, up until the time he died, uh, he was an amazing witness, uh, going out and doing some uh, incredible things and uh, sharing his message to everybody. But uh, it was, it was, it, it's hard for me to, when he came through the door, it's like, well, we never thought we, you know, we, you know, we all knew that Pete probably wasn't going to come back to LSU and, you know what's neat is literally two years ago they just uh, they just put up a statue of Pete and his 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 wife Jackie and his I got to know both of his sons his sons went to school oh wow and got wow. to know them and uh, but they they the, the family came back in for the the statue I didn't realize they went to school there that's interesting yeah, yeah. sure did yeah. yeah best basketball movie of all time oh <laughs> Hoosiers. Hoosiers. That's a good question. I best basketball. I, mean, I have a I have a favorite sports movie that's not a basketball. Okay, movie. what is it? Miracle. Oh uh, yeah. I, I, you show that to every team, so you yeah. can see how they start apart and how they come together and work ethic and adversity and all that. Uh, but you get a little bit of that in Hoosiers too. You yeah. know, who's your special movie? I had a chance to have Del Harris on, and which was just such an honor because my, my high school coach Tommy Thomas. And him, they do cattle and do things together. So that was the connection. And at the end, we're doing the speed round. I ask him that question, and he says Hoosiers. And I was like, "Oh yeah." He's like, and he leans in and he goes, "You know, I was at that game." I was like, "You were at the actual game?" He's like, "Yep, I was a junior high." And then he just gets up and walks off. And I was kind of sitting there going, "Are we done?" Like, I, you know. And he gets, he comes back, and he has the ticket from that game laminated. Oh, wow. And he said, yep, this is the ticket. And, and he went into the whole history of like, you know, it wasn't that year and it wasn't that, 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 that wasn't the name. And he went through the whole thing, but he said that the final shot and everything is very similar. And, and, but. Well, I'll cool. give you one here. Uh, the, the, the coach who coached against the, that lost the game in Hoosiers was a guy named Jay McQuarrie who uh, won the national championship in 1940 for the Indiana Hoosiers, later coached here at LSU and worked in the kinesiology department after he was fired. Just the nicest guy you ever met. Used to come down uh, to our week. He would always come to our offices after we lost. And it would always be to cheer us up. Uh, but he actually, he lost that game. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty cool story. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Texting or talking? Uh, talking, talking though. I, I probably text more than I talk, but I'd rather talk. Now I'm in Texas and you, it, so we don't have a shot clock for a high school shot clock or no shot clock. 
shot clock. Thanks. Now, how long? How long can be debatable? Yeah, I get that. Uh, we can play too fast, and and kids aren't learning to play. Yeah, uh, but we overseas are twenty four, pretty young, right? Overseas. Yeah. 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 And look how good they are overseas right now. Yeah, a twenty-four second. I, but I would, I would. There, there is one classification that has it now. Uh, one, you know, like not UIL, not privates. This other one, and so we're hoping it, it gets going. Um, favorite it's coming. I really, yeah. Do. Twenty-six states now, I believe, have it. I, it is it's coming. Favorite holiday. Favorite holiday. Um, I guess probably Christmas, but you know, it was, uh, I told you I was, I was out with Jim Boone and, uh, we were talking about back in the day, which he still has this day, kinda, uh, you know, college basketball, the first day of practice was October 15th. And the night before was like Christmas Eve because you didn't have, you couldn't work with them in the summer. You couldn't work with them in the fall. You didn't get to do anything with your players till October 15th. And that that night, the 14th and the 15th, was better than any Christmas. Better than any Christmas. I know that's not considered a holiday, yeah. but for coaches back in the day, it yeah. was. If I have to pick a holiday, it'll be Christmas. Well, because you're right, though. Now, I mean, with, with even though you, you you have different rules than we have, it's and I get to see him every day for 43 minutes in the athletic period, and we're training. So, yeah. obviously, after-school practice is special and getting deeper within some concepts, but it's not like the, man, I, I'm excited to see you guys. Like it's new. It's they're kind of thinking, well, here he is again. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jim asked me, he said, you know, you, you, it, it was exciting. He said, do you miss it? And I said, no, I'd rather work out with my players in the summer and the fall. That's fair, yeah. Up three on defense with seven seconds left foul or no foul. Foul. Always been that way. No. No, I uh, used to be no foul and had two games going to overtime because of it. Mm. Uh, and I do think this, I, I, I and, and again, I know I, there, there's obviously great arguments both ways, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen games where I'm watching them on film or watching highlights on ESPN where somebody comes down, sticks at three, but I have never, and I'm sure it's happened, but I've never seen anybody hit the first free throw, miss the second one, tip it back and hit it. I've never seen that. Oh yeah. Now, I think you have yeah. to work on it. Uh, it, it's not enough just to tell your kids to foul or don't foul. You have to work on that. And uh, it it really comes about more than people think. I mean, it's every night there's somebody. If you're that, deciding that, in that timeout what you're going to do and trying to explain to your pretty. players, you're in a bad place. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. You can tell those coaches are the ones who are fouling the three-point shooter as they shoot. That's right. <laughs> or Or the – just yeah. a shove. <laughs> I, I said go for the ball. No, no, you, you didn't. You didn't practice. You just said foul. Um, what what book would you give someone? I know it's going to be hard for you. Oh, the most influential book I've ever read is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And whether you're a coach, whether you're a parent, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a, an educator, I don't care where you are, that book is profound. Those seven habits will make you better at anything. And uh, I've got it here somewhere, <laughs> uh, but it is worn out. I have read it 12 times over my lifetime, and every time I get a different story. I get mm. a different meaning. I have a different passage based on where I'm at in, in my life. Uh, 
Uh, but that that's to me, that's a phenomenal book. I know this is the speed round, but I want to go into that a little bit because it, it, I thought about it back when we were talking about reading with your with the daily habits question. And, you know, so you mentioned Kevin Eastman. He, he talked about how he would go through and he'd read some read something and he'd highlight and label different things for like this is a part of a, a talk that he wants to do. This is just a great nugget to think about later. And then you mentioned how you highlight and underline, and then you have, you type up those, those things. What do you do with it then to continue to keep those concepts alive? Because I've been trying to do what you, what, what you do, everything I've highlighted, underlined or important. I have written down, I print out that sheet I put in the book, but how do I keep going? I want those concepts to stay with me, especially those, those ones that really apply. What do you do? Well, I label them like so. So if I have if if I read a passage or a quote or something I think is good for my team, I'll put a T beside it. If I, I read a, a passage or something that you know for my blog, I'll put a B by it. Uh, if it's something I may want to use for a click, I'll put a C, and then I'll copy and paste those. Like I've got just a great big thing with just team stuff, just team stuff, or just clinic stuff, just clinic stuff, and then. Something that I've really gotten better at probably the last six or seven years is rereading great books. And I, I can't stress this enough. I had somebody, it may have been Kevin, that told me the second time you read a book, it'll hit different because of where you're at. Hmm. And so uh, I just got through reading uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War. That's probably my fifth time reading that book. Uh, but I've got you read that one cover to cover. Or do you go through a little bit? Because there's some of the stuff with the the histories and things that are just hard for me to get into. But well, the you, thing with the art of war, it depends. Like, like here's mine. It's the you, you could tell it's been through it, yeah, Coach. That's your first time. That's your first time opening it, right? <laughs> this is not. A, this is this is not the thick one. There's there's probably oh okay. 50 art of war books out there that are interpreted different. This is, this doesn't have all the history or all the, this is just his stuff. His stuff. Yeah. So now I've got four or five of them. I've got a couple of big copies like you, but this is my favorite copy because it's just the nuts and bolts. Who is the author of that one? Uh, the uh, name well, at the bottom? Oh, the name at the bottom? James Clavell's the translator. The, yeah. Okay. James okay. Clavell. And, and I'll tell you why I picked James Clavell. Because Bob Knight said so at a clinic about 40 years ago. If it's good enough for him, you got to be okay for, for me. <laughs> Name one bucket uh, bucket list item you still need to do. Uh, I want to go vacation in Yost Van Dyke. Okay. It's a very small island in the Caribbeans. Uh, any listeners out there in No Shoes Nation that are followers of Kenny Chesty will know all about <laughs> Yost Van Dyke. You know, it's funny. I That's told why you, it went. Yeah. I went eight years without ever going on vacation. And now yeah. so addicted to the beach and the beach life. Uh, my wife, we've traveled all over the Caribbean. We've been to so many places. We actually own a place now on the beach in Perdido Key. Uh, but Kenny, and a lot of this is Kenny's music. Wow. Has inspired me to to enjoy the beach life and, and all that. And and he's probably written four or five times about Yost Van Dyke. You can't fly there. You fly, you fly into Tortola and then you have to take a boat into Yost. There's no oh, resort. You're staying in these little huts and everything, but uh, I'm pretty obsessed with that. That's I, I, awesome. I'm my way down there. 
Okay, I have two more. If you take in caffeine, uh, what's your way of of drinking it? Uh, Pepsi Max. So not Pepsi- a coffee guy. No, not a coffee guy at all. Uh, love Pepsi Max. Have been on the Pepsi Max. Great brand. <laughs> UCF. He would come in and and I'd have my vitamins and I'd be taken with Pepsi Max. He, he goes, you know, you're sending mixed signals to your body. Here's some sugar to go along with my vitamins. Well, here's the thing: Pepsi Max is zero free. Oh yeah, and but it does have a higher caffeine amount than Mountain Dew. Wow. The Mountain Dew is about over a little bit over 100 grams. I've been I've been looking at that stuff because I got off of coffee. To anybody that's listened to the first year or so, I would always ask the question, how do you take your coffee? I wouldn't ask that. And it was messing with my 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 reflux with my engine with my digestion. And so I stopped, but I, I do I take some other things. And then the idea of the artificial sweeteners people didn't want to know all this stuff but we're just we're just going to go there the artificial sweeteners there's all this really negative stuff about how it's going to do this and that to you but uh, a guy named greg Doucette, this is he he did a video on it where the amount of artificial sweeteners you would have to take in a day over 20 years it equates to about 18 diet cokes a day over 20 years then it might do something to you. But those artificial sweeteners, they're on the same list with air, with the sun, and with aloe. So it's just funny, but it's way better than not having the sugar, but the caffeine, I'm with you. Yeah. Sorry, Coach. I start, my my (laughs) wife knows to have a full supply in the refrigerator, and I grab one on the way out the door. Uh, I've got a great, uh, our director of operations person here, Jordan Westbrook. Can, we got a little refrigerator here. She makes sure I got one in the afternoon there and I'm good to go. Last one, coach. In basketball, who is the GOAT? Who is the GOAT? Golly, Nets. That's a horrible one. It is. <laughs> there, there's just so many people that qualify for. Yeah. Such a variety of reasons. I'm. I tell you what. I'm. I'm. I'm going to go with Don Meyer because of his range of influence. He's influenced pro coaches. Uh, he's uh, any level from college down to high school, men's, women's. Uh, I. He's done it for all the right reasons. Um, I'm. I'm going with Don Meyer, greatest of all time, because of his impact. Coach, I hope you know this. Uh, that that question about the bucket list item, as far as me doing this podcast thing, which I I don't I feel like I'm just a high school coach that also likes podcasts. I don't know I'm a, I'm a podcaster, but getting this to do this talk with you is a bucket list item for me because indirectly you've influenced me a lot and probably a lot of other coaches. I I got to see a t listen to a TABC one time, but just the amount of stuff that I've watched or listened to followed you. Um, in all the years that you've coached, I am uh, blown away and humbled that that I have this to get to have this time with you. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. Second of all, we have got to work on your bucket list. We've got to work on your bucket list. That's it. That's well, your I'll bucket you what, list. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm going home. I'm seeing it. I'm gonna see if that gets some points with my wife tonight. See, I, said I had a conversation with Matt Saman, and I just fulfilled his yeah, bucket. 
she can't be mad at you for the last two and almost a half hours that you were at home because you were helping some, some, some guy from Texas, you know, just well, live in his dream. Right? She got a couple plugs in here. That's right. That's right. But no, this was, this was amazing. Uh, coaches appreciate all that you do. And thank you so much for your time. Glad to do it, brother. Glad to do it. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.